Can I say this? All right. Worship is probably one, one of the most misunderstood words in the churches today. Okay? That's why the Lord told me to have a worship conference. Okay? I did a study. Pastors, I did a study on the word prayer in the New Testament. I studied 110 scriptures on the word prayer. There were nine different Greek words that were used. Not the same one. Nine. And when I studied the nine Greek words, here's what I found out. They fell into three categories. The first one was worship. The second one was praying for others. The third one was uh -huh, uh, uh, the prayer of faith. That's what those nine Greek words said. So I did a study on worship. And when I did a study on worship, here's what I found out. The word worship in the Hebrew is the word shaka. Everybody say shaka. And it has nothing to do with singing. You know, uh, the second word I studied in the Greek was the word worship, and it is the Greek word proskuneo. Everybody play proskuneo. And it has got nothing to do with singing. So when uh, uh, the people say, well, we had praise and worship at church. How do you know you had praise and worship? We sang two fast songs and two slow songs. No, you sang songs. That wasn't worship. <laughs> Study worship. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? You know, uh, uh, Jesus, when he prayed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he didn't pray for provision. He didn't pray for healing. He didn't pray for uh, anything that he needed. Well, then he didn't pray. No, every morning he prayed. What did he do? He went to a desert place where there was no distractions so he could spend time with the Father every morning. What was he doing? Worship. Worship. So I'm going to be teaching for three days on worship. What it really is based on the Word of God and how we should really worship the Father. Because the Father is seeking those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, let me just share this scripture. How many of you want to get closer to God? Wave to me if you want to get closer to God. Here's how you get closer to God. John 4, 23. Very simple. If to get close to God, all you got to, you want to get closer to God? This is how you do it. John 4, 23. Look up at the scripture. It's coming up on the screen. John 4, 23. This is how you get closer to God. But you got to know what worship is. In John chapter 4, verse 23, it is coming up on the screen now. Oh, that didn't work. All right, it's coming up on the screen. Now, oh, there it is. See, I was just the other hand. All right. Mm. A time will come, however, indeed, is already here. Everybody say, it's here. here. Uh-huh. When the true worshipers. Now, you never, Jesus never uses the word true worshipers unless they're false worshipers. Come on now. So we've got to identify what a true worshiper is. Watch this. When the true worshipers will worship the Father. Will worship who? Who? doesn't say worship Jesus, does it? doesn't say worship the Holy Spirit, does it? Who do we worship? Uh-huh. We'll worship the Father in spirit. Everybody say, in spirit. In spirit. Mm, that's one way to worship the Father. What else? In truth. Everybody say, in truth. in truth. There's a second way to worship the Father. For the Father is seeking just such people as these, His worshipers. If you want to get closer to God, you've got to find out what God is seeking. Every Sunday, God's looking all over the world, going to every church. What's he looking for? What's he seeking? True worshipers. 
if he could find true worshipers, oh, that's what he seeks. So if you want to get closer to God, just become what he's seeking. You don't have to find God. He's going to find you. Are you getting a hold of it? So that's what I'll be teaching on how to worship. And if you cannot, if you're all invited to come, but if you cannot come, you can still watch it live streaming on the internet. Amen? On our website. So we handed these out to everybody. If you did not get one of these cards, lift up your hand nice and high. Amen. Keep your hand lifted up. Keep your hand lifted up. Okay. Praise God forevermore. A lady in the orange over there. Hallelujah. Gentleman right behind you. Pastor, right behind you, right over here. Did you guys not? Did you guys get these cards? You all got them? Okay, good. All right. So, so you can come or you can um, uh, watch it on the internet. Amen. On our website. Let us uh, get into the word today. Mm -hmm. All right. I got good news and bad news. Mm. Uh oh. What is the good news? Everybody say the good news is he's a teacher. Well, what in the world is the bad news? The bad news is, teachers have tests. Are you going to test us on what you taught Sunday morning? Yes. Are you going to test us on what you taught Sunday night? Yes. And if you don't get the answer right, I'm going to teach it again. <laughs> All right. Question number one. Is it God's will for you and I to prosper? Yes. Don't you ever let anybody uh, uh, change your mind on that. God pleasures in the prosperity of his people. Amen. Question number two. Who is responsible for my prosperity? God or me? me? Me. If Joshua could make Joshua prosperous, you can make you prosperous. Question number three. Why do God's people perish? Lack of money or lack of knowledge? knowledge? You never had a money problem. You always had a knowledge problem. Question number four. What does the thief come to steal? Turn to your neighbor and say, Neighbor, neighbor. he didn't steal from me tonight. You remember when I mentioned this last night? I said I had a photographic memory. I was taking everybody's picture. You remember that? Some people he stole from tonight because they ain't here. They allowed the thief to steal the word. Amen? But not you guys. You're getting the word. But there were people here last night that did not come back today. And he stole the word from them. Say this after me. In every area, the thief... Steals the word for my life. That's the area. He can kill me and destroy me. Isn't that what we learned yesterday? The thief comes to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. He cannot kill and destroy until he first steals. What does he steal? The word. Are you getting older this? All right. Uh, uh, let, let's talk about this. Law number one. You reap the same kind as you. Law number two, you reap more than you. Law number three, you reap in a different season than you. What is the one seed that has no DNA? Money. Oh, you guys got it. All right, come with me to 2 Corinthians 9.10. 2 Corinthians 9.10. Let's get into the word. 2 Corinthians 9.10. God gives seed. What does God provide? Seed. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. He don't have any car lots. So every time you pray to God, guess what? He ain't got no car lot. <laughs> what does he have? A seed bag. Doesn't have furniture, doesn't have houses, but he does have what? A seed bag. And what business is God in? He in the seed business. So whatever you need, he will give you the right 
seed. I'm praying for a breakthrough. What's he going to give you? A breakthrough seed. I'm praying for a car. What's he going to give you? A car seed. I'm praying for a house. What's he going to give you? A house seed. I'm praying for this. I'm praying for that. Whatever you're praying for, God is going to give you the right. Uh, now you understand how he answers prayer. He meets all my needs. Yeah, but how does he meet your needs? He meets your needs by giving you the right. Now, if you never plant the seed, your need is never met. Don't get mad at God. Don't get mad at God because he in the seed business. Amen. God gives seed to who? Why? What did we learn? God never created seed to live as a seed. An orange seed is not supposed to live its whole life as an orange seed. It's supposed to become an orange plant. An apple seed is never supposed to live its whole life as a seed. It's supposed to become an apple tree. A car seed is never supposed to live all its life as a car seed. It's supposed to produce a car. House seed is not supposed to live all its life as a seed. It's supposed to produce a house. And there's only one way God can guarantee the seed will fulfill its assignment. How is that? By only giving seed to the soul. Oh, now you got it. That's why God don't give seed to every Christian. He don't give seed to the keepers. He only gives seed to who? Ah, you're getting a hold of this. So God gives seed to the souls. Amen. What else did we learn? We learned that uh, uh, harvest doesn't follow a prayer. Harvest doesn't follow fasting. Harvest only follows what? A seed. What else did we learn? We learned that God gives seed, but then who gives the harvest? The earth. Not God. Say this after me. God gives seed. The earth gives the harvest. And when you understand this, that was in Genesis 1.11. When we understand this, then you know the harvest is not coming from God. So stop asking God for the harvest. Just ask God for the right and then what else did we learn? That we can't plant the wrong seed Sunday morning and expect the right harvest to come in our lives. You can't be planting tomato seed and wonder why corn don't come. Turn to your neighbor and say, corn ain't coming. Why? Planted the wrong seed. Why did we plant the wrong seed? Because the most important... Oh, Lord, can I say this? Can I say this, brother? The most important part of the prosperity message we've missed. And that is how to hear the voice of God. Because the Holy Spirit was sent not to give you a car, but to give you instruction. The Holy Spirit is your guide. And so he will tell you what seed will produce the right So Every time it's offering time, what do we got to do? We got to what? Pray and what? Because every Sunday, Christians are planting tomato seed, getting mad at God and the pastors, why corn ain't coming. Corn ain't never going to come. Planted the wrong seed. Amen? So now, God gives seed to the sower. Why is this so important? Come with me to John 12, 24. John 12, 24. You must pray and obey. Um, most assuredly, I tell you, uh, unless a grain of wheat, a seed, falls into the earth and ground in, and dies, it remains by one seed alone. But if it dies, if the seed gets sown in the ground, mm, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. So a seed was designed by God to be planted and not used. That's why it's got to die to your purpose. I never said that before. A seed 
was designed by God to be what? Planted. Not eaten. Too many eat their seed. And then they wonder they ain't got no harvest. Seed wasn't designed to be eaten. Mm. Somebody blessed me with $100. I'm going to the restaurant. No, you should have asked God, what was $100 for? It might have been that he's trying to get 900 to you, and that was the seed that was going to bring it, and you went to the restaurant. Oh, come on now. You never ask God when you got your blessing, is this a seed or is this supposed to be a, a harvest for me? And because you never ask God, you automatically ate your car seed. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop eating your car. You should have planted it. But who would know? Everybody say, pray, pray. and obey. Hey, you get no hold of this. We get blessings. It's not that God don't bless us. It's just that we never ask him, is this a seed for something else you're trying to get me? Or is this a harvest? Yes. And sometimes God will tell you it's all seed. Sometimes he'll tell you it's all harvest. Yes. Uh, well, actually, he'll probably never tell you it's all harvest. Because in an apple, is not only the apple, but also more Come on now. But when you get a blessing, you better find out what portion of that is to eat and what portion of that is to sow. Because every harvest contains in it seed to be planted for the next harvest. A farmer never, ever, ever gets the harvest on a field and eats it all. He always saves some to plant for the next harvest. Are you getting a hold of this? But how do you know which one to do? You got to pray and what? You got to listen to the Holy Ghost. But if it dies, if the seed hits the ground, guess what? It produces. God's not your delivery boy. The seed is. God doesn't produce your car. The seed does. God don't produce your house. The seed does. God doesn't bring your breakthrough. What brings it? The seed. Are you getting a hold of this? Amen. It produces. Seed brings forth its purpose and destiny only if it's sown. Seed contains in it the supernatural blueprint for repercussion. Reproduction and increase. Seed contains the DNA of your harvest. And it cannot produce until you let it go. Amen? Once you let it go, it can bring a harvest. If you keep hanging on to the seed, you'll never see the harvest. Don't cry to God for your need. Cry to God for your seed. Are you getting a hold of this? Now, here comes a $6 million question. If seed brings my harvest, where do I get seed from? Because if you plant the right seed, you're going to see the harvest. But if you ain't got seed, guess what? You ain't going to see harvest. So I did a study on where seed comes from. Come with me to a very strange verse. It's almost like we shouldn't go there, but we're going to go there anyway. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 27. And he says something so profound that you almost shouldn't think that this scripture should be in there. First of all, Paul is writing to a church. Everybody say, to Christians. Not to sinners. He's writing to Christians. What does he say to the Christians? Leave no room for the devil. So that means Christians were leaving room for the devil. You don't ask somebody not to leave room unless they were already leaving room. What were they doing that would brought that, that gave the devil a right? The word room or foothold is the Greek word called topos. We get the English word topography. 
or geography. Stop giving the devil a geographical place in your life. And he's talking to Christians. Because there were Christians that were giving the devil a geographical place in their life. How, how, how were they doing this? How were they giving the devil this geographical place? How were they giving them a foothold? How were they giving the devil a foothold in their life? Next verse. Let the thief steal no more. Now, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> He's not writing to sinners. He's writing to the church. Everybody say, Christian thief. Christian. Almost, you can't put those, not supposed to put those two words together. Either you're a Christian or you're a thief. You can't be a Christian thief. But this guy was a Christian thief. Is there such a thing as a Christian thief? Well, apparently Paul thinks so. Because he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says, somewhere sitting in your congregation is a Christian thief. And he says, tell that Christian thief to steal no more. Well, that's because he was stealing. There was a Christian thief sitting in the church every Sunday stealing. Oh, my goodness. What was he stealing? The pews? No. The, the chairs? No. The Bibles? No. What was he stealing? Let's find out. Huh. Let him steal no more. That means he's already been stealing for a while now. So he's telling him, you've been stealing for a while, but you stop it now. Stop stealing in the church. Hmm. What was he stealing? But rather, let him be industrious. Mm, what does industrious mean? Uh, uh, making an honest living. What does it mean? Everybody say, get a job. See, what happened was, every time it was Sunday offering, <laughs> he put nothing in the bucket. Why did he put nothing in the bucket? Well, he had no money. Why did he have no money? Because he wasn't working. Why was he not working? Everybody shout, lazy. lazy. Did you know God gave man work before he gave him worship? Did you know God gave man work before he gave him a wife? Do you know God gave man work? The first thing he did when he created man, he said, now tend the garden. Work. Everybody say, work is from the Lord. My brothers and sisters, the Bible says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Come on now. So you should not be eating if you ain't working. Come on now. <laughs> How are you getting a hold of this? And this guy didn't want to work. So guess what? He didn't have anything to give. And because he had nothing to give, Paul called him a thief. Would we go to Walmart and get a bunch of groceries and not pay? Everybody shout stealing. stealing. Would you go to a restaurant, eat dinner and not pay? Everybody shout stealing. stealing. Would you pull your, put gas in your car and not pay? Everybody shout stealing. stealing. But he thought nothing of coming to church. Huh. What happened when he came to church? He didn't sow nothing. And guess what happened when he didn't sow nothing? He was what? Are you getting a hold of this? We, have no, we would never steal from Walmart, but we would steal in the church. Are you getting a hold of this? I don't need to give. The gospel is free. No, you are stealing. Because Paul said you would value a gallon of gasoline but not value the Word? You would value a Big Mac, but you would not value the Word? You think that your groceries are more important than the Word of God? Then you must have missed the Scripture that says, man will not live by pizza alone. Come on now. 
but he needs what? Every word. Are you getting a hold of this? Don't dishonor your God by stealing in the church. How am I stealing? You're not sowing where you're fed the word. You can't eat at McDonald's and pay at Wendy's. That's called stealing. Are you getting a hold of this? And every time there was an offering, this guy wouldn't give. Why? Because he didn't have any money. Why? Because he didn't work. Why? Everybody shout lazy. lazy. Are you getting a hold of this? And Paul said to the Christian thief sitting in the church, steal no more. Don't be fed and not so where you're fed the Word of God. Everybody say, the Word of God, the word of God can, feed me can feed me and change my life, change my life. Much, more much more than bread. Than bread. Come on now. And you would sow in the restaurant, but you're not going to sow in the church. So where do you get seed from? Everybody say, I get a job. My job gives me seed. My seed gives me harvest. Are there any single ladies in the house? If you're a single lady, lift up your hand. Anyone that's single ladies? All you single ladies, lift up your hand nice and high. All you single ladies, when Mr. Perfect comes into your life, the first question you ask him is this. Have you got a job? And if he ain't got a job, don't walk, run. If I shout, no job, no seed, no seed, no harvest. Are you getting a hold of this? That's where seed comes from. Seed comes from your job and your harvest comes from your seed. Amen? Now you know how this thing gets started. Come with me to the most famous prosperity scripture in the whole Bible, Philippians 4.19. Philippians 4.19. You can probably quote that in your sleep. Philippians 4.19. What is Philippians 4.19? And my God. What about my God? And my God will liberally supply. What? All my needs according to what? His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. All my needs. Could I, this couple right over here. Could I get you guys to grab the seats right over here? Because the people might be coming. I know some pastors that are coming late. We're going to slide them over there. Get, grab these two seats right over here. All right. We only want to put the good-looking people in the first three rows. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Uh, now, how many of you believe God's going to supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus? How many believe this scripture? All right. Now, say this after me. Brother Nasser, we love you. Now, you can't take it back. Because we got it recorded now. Amen? Because I'm about to break the scripture down <laughs> that's going to shock you. All right? Are you ready for this? Okay. Uh, uh, oh, well, let me say this. How many of you believe God supplies all your needs? Wave to me. All right. Put your hand down. How many of you have some needs in your life that have not been supplied? Wave to me. You can't put your hand on both. Come on now. Either God supplies your needs or he doesn't. Which one was it? Can't God supplies my needs? No, I got a bunch of needs. God supplies. No, no, no. Which one was it? So why didn't God supply your needs? Let's find out. You can't pick up a scripture in the middle. you got to rightly, what? Divide the word. To rightly divide it, you got to go back a few verses to find out who is speaking to whom about what. So we go to Philippians 4.14. 
Paul is writing to the church. He's in prison right now in Rome. And this is the, 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 of all the letters that Paul wrote, this is the most joyous letter. Even though he's in prison, he's so excited to write to the Philippians. Why? Uh huh. But it was right. It was commendable. It was noble for you to contribute, uh, uh, to give to my needs and share in my difficulties. Now, let me ask you a question. Why was it a good idea for the Philippians to sow into Paul's ministry? Why do you think that was a good idea? Well, I'll just tell you. Turn to your neighbor and say, Neighbor, neighbor. Paul, Paul fed them, fed them. The, word. the Word. You always sow where you fed the Word. You always sow where you fed the Paul fed them the word. That's why it was right for them to do this. Next verse. Mm -hmm. And you Philippians, uh -huh, yourselves well know in the early days of the gospel ministry. Now, now let's stop right there. Uh, uh, early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia. Everybody say Macedonia. Macedonia. Now, now, where are we right now? What's the name of this town right now? All right. Virginia Beach. Am I right? We're in Virginia Beach. Somebody from Virginia Beach, they could be called a person from Virginia Beach, but they, could they also be called a person from the state of Virginia? You could, couldn't you? Why? Because Virginia Beach is a town in a region or a state called Virginia. Everybody so far? All right. Uh, uh, Philippi was a town in a region or a state called Macedonia. So the people from Philippi, sometimes you'll see them in the Bible called the Philippians. But sometimes you'll see it in the Bible called the Macedonians. He's still talking about the same group of people. Everybody with me so far? Because Philippi is in where? Macedonia. All right, let's see this again. And you Philippians, yourselves well know in the early days of the gospel ministry, when I left Macedonia. Now, my brothers and sisters, after the word Macedonia on this verse behind me, what are the next two verses? I can't hear you. One more time. Now, now I'm, in, uh, I'm in Virginia Beach, so I got to ask you this question. In Virginia Beach, what do the words no church mean? No church did what I'm about to read to you. No church sowed into the man who fed them the word of God. No church. The Corinthians didn't do it. The Thessalonians didn't do it. The Ephesians didn't do it. Mm. No church did what this church did. So no church has a right to go to Philippians 4.19. See, because if you don't do what the Philippians did, what allows you to get what the Philippians got? You might be living like a Thessalonian or a Corinthian or an Ephesian. And if you're living that way, you don't have a legal right to go to Philippians 4.19. Because that wasn't written to every Christian. That was only written to one church, the Philippian church. The only church that has a right to go to Philippians 4.19 is the Philippian church because of what they did. Are you getting a hold of this? Flip, God supplies my needs. No, he don't. No, he don't. Because you live in like a Thessalonian. He don't supply the needs of Thessalonians. He didn't write that to the Thessalonian church. You got to rightly the word. Are you getting a hold of this? He wrote it to one church. Only one church. No church, watch this, 
entered into partnership with me and opened up a debit and credit account in giving and receiving except you only. Only one church did this. No other church did it. That's why no other church did Paul say, my God will supply your needs. He ain't supplying the needs of every church. He only supplying the needs of the Philippian church. Because they were the only church that opened up a giving and receiving account. You cannot have a receiving account if you don't have a gift. Oh, come on now. Like the man that walked into a bank, walked into a bank, said, went to the counter and said, there's a bank. The girl said, yes, sir. You got money? Yes, sir. He said, give me money. Give me money. Bank manager heard all the noise. He came running out and said, what's the problem, sir? Well, I want to know. Is this a bank? Yes, sir. You got money here? Yes, sir. He said, give me money. Give me money. Bank manager says, I can't give you money because you're asking for money. I got to ask you a question. You have an account here? Have you ever made any deposits here? You know how many Christians go to God? God, give me money. Give me money. God says, hello. (laughs) Have you got an account here? Have you ever made any deposits here? If there isn't a giving account, what in the world makes you think there is a receiving account? Are you getting a hold of this? Rightly divide the word. Huh. You Philippians yourselves know in the early days of the gospel ministry when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me and opened up a debit and credit account in giving and receiving except you only. Only one church sold to the man who fed him the word of God. Only one church. So if you don't do what the Philippians did, you cannot stand on a scripture. It is wrongly dividing the word. That's why so many Christians have so many needs and Philippians 4.19 ain't working for them. And they don't know why. Amen? Look at the next verse. Hmm. Verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent me contributions for my needs. Stop right there. He says, if you get fed the word of God in Galatians 6.6, it's right to sow to the person that taught you the word. Am I right? So who was... Paul feeding the word too. Everybody shout the Thessalonians. Thessalonians. Who should have taken care of him? Turn to your neighbor and say, they didn't do it. That's why he never wrote to the Thessalonians, my God will supply your need. Sometimes I'm teaching the word for an hour, sometimes two hours, sometimes even two and a half hours, teaching the word. People are getting blessed, blessed, blessed. Lives are changing. They're getting revelation. And just when we come to the offering, people get up and walk out. And I think, oh, there goes another Thessalonian. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, I hope he ain't talking about you. Don't live your life like a Thessalonian and wonder why Philippians 4.19 never works in your life. Are you getting a hold of this? We've got to rightly, what? Divide the word. Amen. Next, not only that, but he took, they, uh, the Philippians took care of Paul in Philippi, and they took care of Paul when he was in Thessalonica, not one time, but a second time. Next verse. Not that I love this verse. Not that I seek him eager for your gift, but I do seek and am eager for the fruit which increases to your credit. I love this. The harvest of blessing that is accumulating to your account. 
Who was getting the harvest of blessing? Everybody shout, the Philippians. Why? They were the only ones that were sowing into Paul's ministry. Amen? It's, he said, I don't, I'm not so excited about what you're giving me. I'm excited about what's coming to you. Who was getting the harvest? The Philippians. Why were they getting the harvest? Because they were the only ones that sowed seed. Are you getting a hold of this? Amen? All right. Next verse. Verse 18. I have your full payment and more. Now that I, and everything I've, I have your full payment and more. I've received everything I need and I'm amply supplied. Now that I received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent me. Stop right there. Paul was where? Rome. What was he doing? House arrest. Mm -hmm. And who took care of his needs when he was in Rome? The Philippians. Are you getting a hold of this? Who took care of Paul in Philippi? The Philippians. Who took care of Paul in Thessalonica? The Philippians. Who took care of Paul in Rome? Say this after me. If I want to get what the Philippians got, I got to do what the Philippians did. Are you getting a hold of this? We've got to rightly divide the word. Amen? Now, now let's break this down. Who are these Philippians? Who are these people? Let's talk about them. Paul was in Philippi. What was he doing? Uh-huh. They were going down the street and they were being followed by a, a, a woman who was shouting, these are, the most, these are the men of the Most High God. She was demon-possessed. Remember that? And what did Paul do? He cast the demon out. Instead of getting applauded, they got beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten and thrown into the worst part of that jail. It was dark. It was dirty. It was smelly in there. And you know what? They got chains on them. And instead of complaining in the jail, guess what? They prayed and then they started singing songs. They were singing songs so loud that all the other prisoners heard them. And the Bible says, in the midnight hour, something happened. And it, you know when it happened? When they were worshiping God. Oh, we'll talk about that. Write that down, my brother. The midnight hour, they were worshiping God. That, no, they didn't have songbooks. Hello, somebody. Turn to your neighbor and say, they don't have songbooks in the prisons. Come on now. They were worshiping God. And what happened when they were worshiping God? The Bible says the power of God hit that place. The chains flew open. The doors flew open. And guess what? The jailer thought they'd escaped. He took out a knife. He was about to kill himself. And Paul said, no, 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 we're still here. The jailer ran in there and said, what must I do to get saved? Are you getting a hold of this? And the jailer gave his life to Christ. Took his two prized prisoners, Paul and Silas, to his home. Cleaned them up. Fed them. And the Bible says his whole household got saved. What do you think happened to that jailer the next morning when the prized prisoners were not in jail? Turn to your neighbor and say, unemployed jailer. The unemployed jailer became the first pastor of the Philippian church. That's how the Philippian church got started. And the, the, the household uh, that got gave their life to Christ became the congregation. Philippi was a military town. Paul had a 20-year relationship with the Philippians. Uh, and it was the brokest town, poorest place he ever started a church. And I'm about to tell you tonight that the Philippians became the most blessed, most favored church in the whole New Testament. 
because of what I'm about to share with you. So it doesn't matter how small this church is. It doesn't matter what the uh, economic status of this church is. If you will learn what I'm about to share with you, you will be the most blessed church in Virginia. Somebody shout next. So let's break this thing down. How did this happen? Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians 1, 6, and 7. Philippians 1, 6, and 7. Go to Philippians 1, 6, and 7. Paul writes this. I'm convinced he's writing to the Philippians. That's why you've got to read the whole Philippian letter, not just one scripture. I'm convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you want God to finish what he started in you? Wave to me if you want God to do that. All right? Now, watch this. Perfecting and bringing to full completion in you. God's going to finish what he started in you. But why was he sure that God was going to do it for the Philippians and not anybody else? Next verse. Just because you want it, don't make it automatic. It is right. It is appropriate for me to have this confidence mm, and feel this way about you. That what, what, what way is he feeling that God's going to finish what he started in you. It's right for me to have that confidence that God's going to finish. Why is that right? Mm, because you have me in your heart. Mm. And I hold you in my heart. Now, now, how do you know? How do you know <laughs> that they had Paul in, the, in, his, in their heart? How do you know that? Because you have me in your heart. How do I know Lester has me in his heart? How do I know that? Because he's sowing to my ministry. That's how you know. Remember I told you the Philippians were the only church that sowed into Paul's ministry? Mm. I know you got me in your heart. Why? Because you sowed for what I'm trying to do for God. Amen. And I have you in my heart. This partnership. Mm. Look at this. One and all with me. Uh-huh. Sharers one and all with me of what? Grace. In other words, he says, because you sowed into my ministry, the grace on me came on you. You have become partakers of my grace. Now, let's break this down. What is this grace? Number one. How did they get it? Number two. So let's break down. What is this grace? Partakers of my grace. Mm both when I was shut up in prison and when I'm out in defense and confirmation of the gospel. In other words, the grace that's been on me in everything that I did that's on me right now is coming on you. What is this grace? Come with me to 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Uh -huh. It is right. And he's writing to the Corinthian church now. It is, uh, and to keep, no, let's go back to uh, 2 Corinthians. Yeah, okay. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And to keep me from being puffed up and too much elated by the exceeding greatness of these revelations. What revelations did Paul have? Number one, you must understand that Paul never met Jesus while Jesus walked the earth. Paul was four years old when Jesus ascended. Hmm. So when did he meet Jesus? First of all, we know on the road to Damascus. We know that. What else do we know? He didn't meet him one time. He met him many times. Paul was taught by Jesus. He didn't get one revelation. He got many revelations. Hmm. And to keep me from being puffed up too much elated for these great, 
the exceeding greatness of these revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, 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 my brothers and sisters, when, when, I, when I first got saved, we had a preacher come to our church, and he said that, uh, he quoted on this scripture, he said, God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh, and it was a sickness. You ever heard anything like that? Hmm. First of all, <laughs> I studied 48 translations. How many? Not one translation said God gave it. So this preacher made it up. He didn't get it from the Bible. Not one translation. Now watch this, watch this. Watch this. For God to give Paul sickness. How many of you know there's no sickness in heaven? So God would have to leave heaven. He would have to go to the door of the devil. He'd have to knock on the devil's door and say, Devil, can I borrow some cancer from you? My best guy, doing a great job, I want to give it to him. Don't your neighbor and say, that's ridiculous. Where do you get off saying God gave something he never had? God ain't got cancer. He ain't got sickness. So you know God didn't give this, Right? And the second thing is, where do you get off calling it a sickness? He didn't call it a sickness. He called it a thorn in the flesh. Yeah, well, see, that's what it is, a thorn in the flesh. No, let me tell you what it was. He even said it right there, a messenger of Satan. Well, let me tell you, I did a study on this, so you can write this down. Never will you be convinced that it was a sickness again. What was the thorn in the flesh? Acts 23, 12. Acts 23, 12. When daylight came, the Jews formed a plot. The Jewish men bound themselves by an oath under a curse, neither to eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. These Jewish men made an oath that we're going to follow Paul. And we're going to kill him. And everywhere he went, they followed him. He would start go to a town and start a revival. They would come and start a riot just to get Paul killed. And they wouldn't even eat and drink until they killed Paul. They followed him everywhere. And Paul is the one that wrote, we don't fight flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and rulers of darkness. So Paul knew the men trying to get him killed was not his problem. His problem was the demonic spirit influencing these men. What was his problem? A messenger of Satan. Are you getting a hold of this? That's what the messenger of Satan was. That's what the thorn in the flesh was. Come back to 2 Corinthians 12, 7. <laughs> I'll show you this. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. I don't know where we are now. We're in Chronicles. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Uh -huh. We're going to go back to 2 Corinthians 12, 7. I'm sure this is a good scripture too, but we ain't going there. <laughs> so 2 Corinthians Second Corinthians twelve seven. We had it two minutes ago. Uh huh. We're just gonna get it again. All right. Tell me when it comes up there. Uh huh. All right. I'm gonna pull it up in my Bible. Let's see if we can find it. Oh, here it is. To keep me from being puffed up and too much elated by the exceeding greatness of these revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. What was the thorn in the flesh? A messenger of Satan. Even Paul tells us what it is. I mean, you've got to be a theologian to get confused. Amen? Paul explains it. 
Don't be a theologian. Just stay with the Bible. Amen? <laughs> now, 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 now to, show you, to show you the example of what was used up there, how many of you know somebody who's a pain in the neck? If you know someone who's a pain in the neck, lift up your hand. Does that mean every time you see that person, you go, ouch, ouch? No, Brother Nasa, pain in the neck doesn't mean a literal pain in the neck. It means a problem person. Thorn in the flesh did not mean a literal thorn in the flesh. It meant a problem. Uh, now you know what it was. Amen? A messenger of Raiden to rack a buffet, harass me. Well, everywhere he went, these men followed him. He knows that the problem was not the men, it was a demonic spirit. Amen? So Paul's getting fed up of this, so he prays to God, next verse, to take it away. 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Now, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Go to the next verse. Three times, three times he called on the Lord. Three times. Now, 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 now don't turn this into a doctrine. If Paul prayed three times, i got to pray three times because that's what's working for me. No. Let me tell you why Paul prayed three times. First time he said, God, oh God, oh God, please take this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan away from me. Heaven is silent. Second time, because God's going, did he ask that question? I can't believe he asked that question. Second time, God, oh God, oh God, please take this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan away from me. Heaven is still silent. God's going, he did, he did. He actually asked the question. Third time, God, oh God, oh God, please take this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan away from me. Finally, heaven opens up and God says, I got to tell this boy what's really going on. In the next verse, what does God say? Verse 9, but God said to me, what? My grace is sufficient for thee. Now everybody look up here. What was God saying? Paul, son, don't you get it? You weren't shipwrecked one time. You were shipwrecked three times. Could they kill you? No. My grace kept you alive. Remember when they stoned you and left you for dead? Could they kill you? No. My grace kept you alive. Remember when the poisonous viper bit your hand? Could he kill you? No. My grace kept you alive. Boy, what are you complaining about? It don't matter what happened to you. My grace is sufficient for thee. Hallelujah. You got enough grace to run your race. Ain't no sickness going to take you out. Ain't no accident going to take you out. Ain't no shipwreck going to take you out. You got enough grace. Hallelujah. Say this after me. Paul had enough grace to finish the race. No sickness, no accident could take him out. Are you getting a hold of this? Now come back to Philippians 1.6. Now you know what that grace is. That same grace that was on Paul, that sickness couldn't take him out, accidents couldn't take him out, shipwrecks couldn't take him out, is about to come on the Philippians. Huh. I'm convinced, says Paul, of this very thing, <laughs> that he who began a good work, how many of you want God to finish what he started in you? Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. Christians die in accidents every day. And God never finishes what he started. So just because you're wishing and hoping for it, ain't going to bring it. But why was Paul sure that for the Philippians, God was going to finish? Why was he sure that no accident would take a Philippian out? No sickness would take a Philippian out? Why was he so sure of this? Next verse. 
It is right and appropriate for me to have this confidence and feel this way about you all. Why? You have me in your heart. I hold you in my heart as partakers and sharers, one and all with me of what? Grace. In other words, Paul said, the grace on me has come on you. What grace? The grace to finish the race on me has come on you. What grace? The grace where no shipwreck could take me out. The grace where no sickness could take me out. The grace where no accident could take me out. That grace on me has come on you. That's why I know that God's going to finish. Because nothing's going to take you out. Are you getting a hold of this? Now, how did the Philippians get that grace? Good question. Come with me to Romans 5.2. Through him also we have access, hmm, how? By faith into this grace. How do you get grace? By faith. How do you get grace? By faith. So what does that mean? Let me just make it plain. Grace is the word charis in the Greek. It literally means everything that God has given you. Not going to give you, already done it. That's what grace is. But it don't matter. Look, I got this pen. I'm trying to give this pen to this precious sister. I may be trying to give her this pen all day. But you know what? I could hold it out all day, but she ain't got it. Why ain't she got it? She hasn't taken it. But the moment she reaches out with her hand and takes the pen, the moment... So grace is what God is giving you. But the only way you take it is by faith. Are you getting a hold of it? How do you access grace? Everybody shout, by faith. by faith. By faith you access grace. So therefore, the more faith I got, guess what? The more grace I got. So how do you get more faith? Let's go. Uh, where are we in Romans? Yeah. So faith cometh how? And hearing what? So the, say this after me. The more word I hear, the more faith I got, the more grace I got. So if you only get two hours of the word on Sunday, how are you going to get any more grace? You ought to be listening to the word a whole lot more than just two hours. If you want more grace, you've got to get more Faith, and if you want more faith, you got to get more word. Are you seeing this? That's how you get faith cometh by here. Oh, you want me to do that, Lord? <laughs> All right, I'll do that. Mm. Sister, do you speak French? No. Okay, good. Bible says faith cometh by what? Hearing, right? And hearing the word of God. So everybody say faith, faith. Cometh, cometh by hearing. She doesn't speak French. But in a few minutes, I'm going to talk to her in French. And I'm going to ask her one question. Did she hear what I said? Okay? Here it comes. Je m'appelle Nasir, j'habite à Paris pour six mois. Did you hear what I said? Did it give you any faith? Ah, turn to your neighbor and say, faith don't come by hearing. Oh! Whoa, she heard, but faith didn't come. Why? 
Because the word hearing is the word echoe in the Greek. And the word echoe should have been translated, faith comes by hearing and understanding. And hearing and understanding the word of God. You can't get faith on something you don't understand. Are you getting a hold of this? Why do you think he put teachers in the body of Christ? So they can break the word so you can hear it and... Because you can't live what you don't understand. Does that make sense? You've got to understand the word. That's what the original text said. Amen? All right. Everybody say faith. faith. This is the Greek word pistis. Firmly persuaded, firmly convinced. So let's go to James 2.17. James 2.17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. James 2.17. There's the same word faith. Pistis, firmly persuaded, firmly convinced. It's the same Greek word. But also faith. Yeah. I mean, we made faith confessions, didn't we? We walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to learn a little bit about faith tonight. So also faith. Yeah. If it does not have works. Yeah. Guess what? (laughs) It is dead. So if you don't understand the word works, you're going to have dead faith and not know why. Say this after me. Dead faith faith. never, never never accesses accesses. grace. So we better find out what dead faith is. So let's break this down. Hmm. Dead faith, if it does not have works. The word works is the Greek word aragon. Everybody say aragon. And the word aragon in the Greek means deeds and actions of obedience. Hmm. Brother, come up here for a minute. Come up here. What does it say? If faith, uh-huh, also faith, stand in front of me. Faith, if it does not have works, deeds and actions to back it up. Everybody say, back it up. Back it up. Now, brother, you trust me? Yes, All right, lean back. Lean back like you trust me. All right. Now, you see, I'm backing him up. What would happen to this brother if I go for a walk right now? <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, he's going down. <laughs> If you ain't got works, your faith is going down. Thank you, my brother. (laughs) So you better have works or your faith is going down. All right, here we go. What is this word works? Deeds and actions of obedience. Because without those deeds and without those actions, your faith is now destitute of power and it is inoperative and dead. Next verse, verse 18. But someone will say to you then, you say you have faith, yeah, and I have good works, okay? Now you show me, watch this, your alleged faith. Say this after me, faith Faith. without works works. is just alleged. alleged. It ain't real. I mean, if you're going to be a faith, if you're going to live by faith, you better know what it is. Don't have alleged faith, because alleged faith (laughs) don't get you no grace. Uh-huh. Now you show me your alleged faith apart from any good works if you can, and I, by my good works of obedience, will show you my faith. Mm. Everybody say, faith, faith can be seen. Can be seen. Mm. Let me make it plain. A confession of faith is not a possession of faith. Everybody talk big on Sunday. 
How you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. No. Monday ain't nothing working for me. Come on. Now. No. Faith is not just your words. It is your action. If you don't act like your faith, then your faith doesn't produce what you need it to produce. Are you getting a hold of this? Because faith without works is dead. Say this after me. My actions, my deeds of obedience shows God my faith. I'll make it real plain. If he can't see your faith, he don't know your faith. I'll make it again. If you don't show your faith, God don't know your faith. How do you show God faith? Deeds and actions. If you don't have deeds and actions, you're not showing God faith. And if he don't see your faith, then he can't bless you. How do you show faith? Deeds and actions. Watch this now. Here we go. Next verse. 19. You believe that God is one. I believe God is one. Good. You're right there with the demons. And I got news for you. Demons ain't getting blessed. You better do more than just believe that there is a God. Hmm. What else have I got to do? Huh? Next verse. Verse 20. Are you willing to be shown proof? Everybody say proof. We're about to get to some proof now. Huh? You don't want God to say this about you. Turn to your neighbor and say, Neighbor. You do not want God to say this about you. What is that? You foolish, unproductive, spiritually deficient fellow. You don't need God to say that about you. <laughs> what? That faith apart from good works is inactive, ineffective, and worthless. Stop operating in worthless faith. Because it ain't going to bring you grace. It ain't going to produce in your life. So how can I make sure that my faith is not dead, is not worthless, is not ineffective? Now comes the proof. Next verse. Was not our forefather Abraham justified by his faith? No. Abraham was never justified by his faith. How was he justified? By his works. Whoa. But he's the father of faith. Yeah, I know he is. But he wasn't justified by his faith. He was justified by his works. This shocked... I mean, I live in Faith City, brother. <laughs> this shocked the people in Faith City. I started teaching this stuff. And I said, the first thing I said, you're going to love this. I said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John lived with Jesus three years. James lived with Jesus 33 years. Who would know more about faith? Mark or James? Come on now. We better listen to James now. Huh. Was not our forefather Abraham justified by his works? What was the work? When he brought to the altar as his offering his son Isaac. Now we're going to come back to this. I'm going to show you how this happened. But let's go to the next verse for a few minutes. I want to show you how important this is. You see huh, that faith, what I believe, was cooperating with his works and his faith was completed what completed his faith reached supreme expression when he implemented works say this after me works, works. Completes, completes 
my faith and accesses grace. Are you getting a hold of it? Incomplete faith don't access no grace. Incomplete faith don't bring you no blessings. Incomplete faith is dead faith. Watch this. It even gets better. Next verse. And the scripture, and so the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed and was accounted to him righteousness. Stop right there. When was the scripture fulfilled? When Abraham believed? No. The scripture was fulfilled when Abraham believed and brought Isaac to the altar. Are you getting a hold of this? Everybody say, he believed, believed. did the works, and now... The scripture was fulfilled. Are you seeing this? Because of the works, the scripture was fulfilled. And this was accounted to him righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Sometimes I'm going to churches and they sing this song. I'm a friend of God. I'm, you ever heard that song? I'm a friend of God. I'm a, you're not a friend of God because you're singing about it. You're a friend of God because you brought Isaac to the altar. Hello, somebody. Amen. That's what made him a friend of God because of obedience. Man, not because you sang a song. Next verse. You see that a man is justified. This is the one that shocked him in Tulsa. This shocked him in Tulsa. A man is justified, pronounced righteous before God through what he does and not alone through faith. You know, I live in Faith City, man. There's more preachers in Tulsa than people. I'm telling you. They're all faith preachers. <laughs> And I started teaching them. Uh-uh, you, you're sick and you're broke and you're a faith preacher. Something wrong with this picture. Why are you sick and broke? Because you never added works. Are you seeing this? Amen. You're not justified by faith alone. You're justified by faith and works. They're called the works of faith. Amen. Now back up to verse 21. Back up to verse 21. This is what happened. Was not our forefather Abraham justified by his works when he brought to the altar uh uh, uh, his son Isaac? Let me tell you what happened. God said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, Abraham, I want to make you the father of nations. And Abraham said, yes, sir, go for it. I'm ready. And God says, no, no, son, you don't understand. Without faith, it is impossible to please me. And without faith, it is impossible for me to bless you. Do you have faith to be the father of nations? And Abraham says, I do, I do, I got faith. Then God says something that shocked Abraham. Show me your faith. What? Show you my faith? Show me your faith. And Abraham says, how do I show you my faith? Easy, give me an offering. (laughs) God, no problem. Ten goats, ten sheep, ten cows. God says, that ain't enough faith to make you the father of nations. That is ten goat faith. Hundred goats, a hundred sheep, a hundred cows. God says, that ain't enough faith to make you the father of nations. That is hundred goat faith. Say this after me. My father sees my faith through my seed of obedience. That's the only evidence God has about your faith. Frustration sets in. And Abraham says, what have I got to give you to show you I got the faith to be the father of nations? God says, give me 
Isaac. No, 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 not Isaac. Not Isaac. It took me a hundred years to get Isaac. Not Isaac. God says, do you really have faith? You just talk big on Sunday. I got faith. I got faith. And God says, son, don't you know that faith is another word for trust? Do you really trust? Of course I trust you, God. Good. Give me Isaac. Don't say you got faith if you ain't going to obey the Holy Ghost. Because faith is another word for trust. The next morning, you can study all this in Genesis 22. The next morning, Abraham took Isaac. And they took the servants and they went to Mount Moriah where the Dome of the Rock is right now in Jerusalem. They got to the bottom of the mount. And Abraham said to the servants, you stay here with the donkey, me and the boy, we're going to worship. And they didn't have a band playing at the top there. Come on now. <laughs> and they climbed to the top of that mountain. And Abraham tied up Isaac. Now listen carefully. If you think you're getting old, you need to understand that at that t- point in time, Abraham was 130 years old. Isaac was 30 years old. And a 130-year-old man had enough strength to tie up a 30-year-old man. Turn to your neighbor and say, you ain't getting old. Come on now. Tied him up. And he took out the knife. He's about to do it. Everybody say, he's going to do it. Just as he had the knife in his hand. Ready to kill Isaac. Guess what happened? God said, Abraham. Abraham, now I know. God don't know your faith till you show your faith. Are you getting hold of it? And the moment God saw him ready to sacrifice Isaac, he said, now I know your faith. You don't have to sacrifice Isaac. In fact, I'm going to give you Isaac. Remember, when you show faith to God about believing for big things, he's going to tell you what your Isaac seed is. I don't know what your Isaac seed is, but he does. Abraham would have never picked Isaac as the seed, but God did. Why? Because not because he was trying to kill Isaac. No, no, listen, listen to me, listen to me. If Abraham disobeys God, Isaac lives. If Abraham obeys God, Isaac lives. Can you see that nowhere in this formula was God trying to kill Isaac? But he had to see the man's faith. And the first thing God did was say, Huh, you can have Isaac back. Because now I see your faith. So whatever is your Isaac seed, get ready. God's about to give it back to you. If you will pray and obey. Are you getting a hold of this? And then, and then, right then, Abraham looks around and there's a ram in the thicket. You remember that? And he takes that ram and he calls that place Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And many people think that that scripture means God is Jehovah Jireh, your harvest provider. But that's not what it means. See, the ram was never the harvest. The ram was the substitute seed. And the problem with most Christians is they take the ram home. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't take the ram home. 
He never gave you the ram to take home. The ram was the substitute seed. So why did he call that Jehovah Jireh? Because Jehovah Jireh is not your harvest provider. He is your seed provider. How are you getting hold of it? And the seed that you sow brings the harvest. Amen. And then God said these words in Genesis 22. Because you've not withheld your only son. Now I'm going to make you the father of nations. I said, Lord, could it not have been any other seed? And the Lord said, no, it couldn't. I said, Lord, why? Why did it have to be Isaac? Are you ready for this? Here it comes. In the loins of Isaac were the nation. That's why the wrong seed can never bring the right heart. Because only the right seed has the DNA for that harvest. Are you getting a hold of this, my brothers and sisters? Now you're starting to see why it had to be Isaac. And until he put the Isaac seed on the altar of the offering, God did not see the man's faith. And his faith was never completed. What did the Philippian church do that the other churches did not do? They planted seed. All the churches, Paul taught the word of God in Thessalonica, in Corinth, in Ephesus, because faith cometh by, and here in the word, but all the faith of all these other churches never got grace. Why? It was dead faith. Incomplete faith. Who was the only church that planted seed to the man who fed him the word? The Philippians. And because of their seed, their faith, their seed was the works. Their seed completed their faith and accessed the grace. That's why the grace of Paul never came to all the other churches. It only came to the Philippians. Are you seeing this, my brothers and sisters? You have to rightly divide the word. Say this after me. My Isaac seed. Picked by God. What is precious to me. Will complete my faith. And access grace. Are you seeing this? That's why you got to obey the word. Amen. All right. Before we took this side journey, get back to Philippians 4.18. Come on now. Philippians 4.18. I have your full payment and more. Uh-huh. I have everything I need. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent me. Huh? Here they are. The offering, they are a fragrant odor of an offering and a sacrifice which God welcomes and which he delights. When you sow in the offering, does God look at your offering and go, Hmm, this is a fragrant odor. In this I delight. I said, Lord, you actually see the offerings? Come with me to Acts 10, verse 1. Now living in Caesarea, there was a man whose name was Cornelius. Yeah, what about him? A centurion captain of what was known as the Italian regiment. Verse 2. A devout man who venerated and treated God with reverential obedience out of his household, and he gave much alms. Everybody shout, he's a giver. And prayed. Everybody shout, he prays. On the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision of an angel of God entering and saying to him, Cornelius. Next verse. 
Uh, and he gazed intensely at the angel, became frightened, and said, What is it, Lord? And the angel said, Your prayers. Everybody shout prayers. prayers. And your giving. Everybody shout his giving. giving. Have come up as a memorial before God. God not only sees your prayers, he actually sees your giving. <laughs> the word memorial literally means a record and a reminder. One day we're all going to be in heaven. When we're in heaven, we're going to say, Jesus, Jesus, I'm so glad to be in heaven. And Jesus is going to say, I'm so glad you're in heaven too. This is wonderful. I'm going to take you into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of the Father. Wow! You're going to take me to the presence of the Father? You're going to take your hand? And as he walks you into the Holy of Holies, you're going to say, Lord, what is that? That's the memorial of all the prayers you sent to heaven. Wow! They all came in front of the Father? Yep, they all came in front of the Father. That's awesome. She said, come on, I'll show you another one. You see that little one down there? That little one? What is that little one? That's the record of all your giving. What? That one came in front of the Father? Oh, yeah. They both came in front of the Father. Not when I get there. When I get there, Jesus is going to say, uh, NASA, come over here. You see this one? Yeah, what is that, Lord? That's all the prayers you sent to heaven. Wow, that came in front of the... Oh, whoa, what is that? That's the memorial of all you're giving. God sees them both. That's why the days of tipping God with a little tip on a Sunday is total, complete waste of time. Because God ain't going to bless that. You should have prayed. Are you getting a hold of this? Look at verse 30. Acts 10.30. And Cornelius is sharing the story about what happened to him. This is now the fourth day since about the time I was observing the ninth hour prayer and lodging place. And suddenly a man, that's the angel, stood before me in dazzling apparel. Next verse. Verse 31. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer uh -huh, has been heard and hearkened to. So God does hear your prayers, doesn't he? And watch this. And your donations, everybody shout his giving, have been known and preserved before God. So God don't just hear your prayer. He sees your giving. And because he saw the man's giving, so that what? He heeds you and is about to help you. Most Christians just pray and wonder why there's no answer. You got to pray and so led by the Spirit of God. Are you getting a hold of this? You think you got a great cell phone? Buddy, you ought to see God's cell phone. Oh, yeah, he gets text messages. As soon as you come into church, you say, Lord, I'm praying for this, I'm praying for this, I'm praying for a house, mortgage paid off, a car, a job, a business. This is what I need. The prayer comes straight up, and he gets a text message. House, job, business, car. He says, okay, this is but a small thing for God. But I can't give you this until I see your faith. And I can't see your faith until offering time. House, car, mortgage paid off. Okay, no problem. Da ding Second text. Ha <laughs> ha. Offering time, $5. And God goes, what? You want a house? You want to get out of debt? You want your mortgage paid? And you got a $5 faith? That's why so many prayers of Christians are never, ever answered. They don't pray. Oh, you say, but brother, that's if I had a lot of money, I'd put it. But I ain't got a lot of money. You're missing the point. The woman, the widow with the two pennies. Remember the two mites? She put them in the treasury. Jesus said, she's going to get more blessed than anybody. 
Why? Everybody else put more money than she did. No, 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 no. Her seed showed her faith. What was her faith? She gave of her all. That was her trust in God. And God says she's going to get more blessed than anybody. Are you getting a hold of this? Say this after my seed. Say this after me. My seed, my seed. of obedience, of obedience. Always. always shows God, shows God. My, faith. my faith. Now come back. We were in Philippians 4.18. So let me wrap this up. Uh, Philippians 4.18. But uh, I have your full payment and more. I have everything I need. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Ephroditus the gift they sent me, they are a fragrant odor. Watch this. Of an offering that God welcomes and he delights. I went to the Lord. Pastor, you're going to love this. I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, what kind of offering do you delight in? Hmm. This is what he said to me. How many of you in the room have children? If you have children, wave to me. Everybody that has children, wave to me. Right, watch this. How many of you are blessed when your children obey you? I rest my case. When God's children obey him at offering time, God is blessed. That's what gives God delight. Everybody say, the seed, the seed of, obedience of obedience gives God, gives God delight. delight. Are you getting a hold of this? Now, because Philippians 4.14, we showed that Philippians 4.14. Put that up on the screen again, please. Uh-huh. It was commendable. Everybody say, I sowed, I sowed where, I where I got blessed with the Word of God. Word of God. That's Monday. Philippians 4.15. Hmm. And you Philippians yourselves know in the early days of the gospel ministry, uh, because of my giving, I had a receiving account. Everybody say Tuesday. Yeah. Next verse. Now you Philippians, even in Thessalonica, he gave. Everybody shout Wednesday. Wednesday. Thursday. Now that I seek, not I'm eager for the gift, but the credit of blessing coming to your account. Everybody say Thursday. Thursday. Mm, now that I have your full payment and more, I've received everything. Now that I've received from Ephroditus the gift you said to me. Everybody say Friday. Friday. See, you can go to payday. If you work Monday to Friday, you can't show up on payday and just say, give me the pay because you never did the work. You ain't going to get what the Philippians got unless you're willing to do what the Philippians did. And because you did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you have every right now to go to Philippians 4.19. What is Philippians 4.19? Uh-huh. Let's find out. And my God will liberally supply, fill to the full, your every need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Are you getting a hold of this, my brothers and sisters? We have to rightly divide the Word. Amen? I told you this was the poorest church and it became the most blessed church. Come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now Paul is writing to the Corinthian church all about the Philippians. Here's what he says. We want to tell you further, brethren, about grace. Everybody shout grace. grace. The grace that was on Paul came on the Philippians. And it says, here's the grace of God which has been evident, where? In the churches of Macedonia. Everybody shout the Philippians. Philippians. They got the grace. How did they get the grace? Which has been evident in the churches of Macedonia. By the way, listen, don't ever, 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 ever go for grace if you're stingy. 
because grace will turn you into a giver. Mm. Arousing in them the desire to give alms. When you get grace, man, you love to give. Next verse. Uh-huh. For in the midst of an ordeal tribulation, man, you think we've ever had recession in this country? You ain't seen nothing compared to what they were going through. There was not tribulation. It was severe tribulation. And in the middle of severe tribulation, they had abundance of joy. They didn't just have joy. They had abundance of joy. Don't you know in the middle of a trial, you need strength? And guess what? The joy of the Lord is your strength. They were happy in the middle of a trial. Are you getting a hold of this? You know why? Because they were coming out. My brothers and sisters, listen carefully. The greater, you may want to write this down, the greater the joy, the shorter the trial. You want to get out of that trial quick? Just get happy. You confuse the heck out of the devil. The devil's doing everything to get you upset, and you are laughing all the way. They had joy. That's why they didn't stay in the trial. They had joy in the middle of a trial. And what else? In the depth of poverty, the most broke church there was. Depth of poverty have overflowed what? In the wealth of lavish generosity. Everybody say, they gave their way out. Gave their way out. Of every trial, every, trial. Every, problem, every problem, every tribulation. Every tribulation. They gave their way out. And Paul saw it. How do you know he saw it? Next verse. He said, I can witness this. I can bear witness. I saw it with my own eyes. What did they do? They gave. Yep, according to their ability and even beyond their ability. And they did it voluntarily. Nobody twisted nobody's arm. They were happy to give because they knew their seed was the only thing that would bring their harvest. Are you getting a hold of this? Not praying, not fasting, the right. Amen? Come with me to 2 Corinthians 9.1. 2 Corinthians 9.1. Paul is still writing to the Corinthian church. Look at what he says. Uh, uh, can you put this in the Amplified, please? 2 Corinthians 9.1. We can go back to the Amplified. You'll understand what touching and ministering to the saints means. Uh-huh. 2 Corinthians. Can we get it in the Amplified? Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Now about the offering. Everybody say 2 Corinthians. Chapter 9 is about an offering. Mm -hmm. About an offering that is to be made for the saints in Jerusalem. It is quite superfluous. That was unnecessary that I should write to you. The saints in Jerusalem were struggling. They were going through some financial difficulties. So Paul was raising money to send them money. So he's writing to the Corinthian church and said, I'm going to come to your church. We're going to raise an offering and we're going to send it to the struggling saints in Jerusalem. That's what we're going to do. All right. Verse 4. He's still talking about the offering. He said in verse 4, Lest if any Macedonians, everybody shout Philippians, if they come with me and find you unprepared for this offering, uh -huh, we say nothing of ourselves, be humiliated. What's he saying? Don't embarrass me. I didn't teach three gospels. What I taught to the Philippians, I taught to the Corinthians. The difference was the Philippians were doers of the word. The Corinthians were hearers only. So when I come back to your church, don't embarrass me because I may have some of them crazy Philippians with me. They fully know about giving. And so if I come to your church and you're not a giving church, they'll think I taught you nothing. Mm. Paul's smart. Everybody say, Paul's smart. How do you know he's smart? Next verse. 
That is why, so he didn't want to get embarrassed. That is why I sent these brethren to go to you before I do and make arrangements for this bountiful offering, the gift of yours. So it'll be ready, not as extortion, but as a generous, willing gift. So he sends them ahead so that he doesn't get embarrassed. Bountiful. Everybody say, bountiful. bountiful. Now, why did he want a bountiful offering? More clothes for him? No. Jewels? No. He already told them. What is this offering going to? The saints in Jerusalem. But this is the reason he asked for a big offering. Mm. <laughs> oh, Lord. Remember this. He who sows sparingly reaps what? Sparingly. But he who sows bountifully reaps what? Bountifully. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like the measure you give <laughs> determines the measure that comes back. Scripture never contradicts Scripture. Amen? But look at the first word. What is the first word in this verse? Amen. You never use the word remember by telling somebody something the first time. So he must have told them this before. When did he tell them this? When he was in Corinth, teaching them the same thing. So sparingly, reap sparingly. So bountifully, reap bountifully. The reason he wanted them to sow bountifully is so that they would have a bountiful harvest. Are you getting a hold of it? When did he tell them this the second time? Flip over to 1 Corinthians 9.11. This is the second time he told them the same thing. If we have sown the seed of spiritual good, everybody shout the word of God. Is it too much that we reap from your material benefits? Is it too much that you sow back into my ministry because I've been teaching you the word? This is the second time. Everybody shout, they didn't do it. How do you know they didn't do it? 2 Corinthians 11.9. He writes to the Corinthian church in the second letter and he says exactly that. You didn't do it. When I was with you, yeah, teaching you the word, yeah, and I ran out of money, yeah, hmm. I did not burden any of you, for what I lacked was abundantly made up. Who? By the brethren that came from Macedonia. An unemployed jailer and his servants got so blessed by sowing to the man who fed them the word that they increased and increased and increased and increased and got so much wealth that they were financially independent. And they said, Paul, wherever you go, we're going to go with you. We pay our own expenses. We, and if the churches don't take care of you, don't worry about it. We're going to take care of you. Why? Because we sow when we fed the Word of God. Are you getting a hold of this? They trust. Wouldn't you like to travel with your pastor wherever they go and say, oh, don't worry, pastor. Or come work in your church and say, pastor, you don't ever have to pay me. Why? I'm one of them Philippians. I'm so blessed that if the church don't pay you, we're going to pay you. Wouldn't you like to do that? Become a Philippian. Amen. Now watch this. Uh -huh. Now I'm going to share something with you that's kind of sad. Now, uh, back up, back up, back up. Hmm. Corinthian church. Now, now let, let me explain this a little bit more clear for you. The Corinthian church was going through the greatest recession they've ever had. They were losing their jobs. They were losing everything. Their homes, their businesses. Everything was going on. And they kept praying and praying and praying. And they kept writing to Paul. And they say, Paul, 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 we're losing it all. Our businesses, our homes, everything is going. And we're praying and nothing working. 
How do you know they wrote to Paul first? Because he said in this letter, about the questions you asked me. So you know there had to be another letter. He wasn't with them. He was in jail in Rome. Come on now. So there was a letter that came to Paul. And this is a reply. He said, now the reason you're struggling, some of you might have heard of this before, is because you are unequally yoked. Now, I know we use that for marriage, and that's okay. But he ain't talking about marriage. Guess what he's talking about? Christian businessmen yoked with the world. He said, that's why your business is not prospering. Because you're yoked with the world. Mm. It's okay to use it for marriage. Then he says these words. Here it comes. You're losing your home. You're losing your business. You're losing everything. And it's not your fault. It's my fault. Because when I was with you in Corinth, I should have made you so. So your faith would have been completed by your seed. And the grace on me would have come on you. Then he closes the letter by saying, Please forgive me for not making you so. Are you sure that's in the Bible? Read the next verse. For what is it, Corinthian church, wherein we were inferior, 2 Corinthians 12, 13, to the other churches, except it be that I myself can you put this in the Amplified? you got to see this in the Amplified. It is absolutely incredible. I know we keep jumping back to King James, but let's go. Let's put this back in the Amplified. I want you to see this. It is so, so important. For in what respect, Corinthian church, were you put to a disadvantage comparison to the other churches? Unless it was the fact that I myself did not burden you with my financial support. Forgive me. Pardon me for doing you this injustice. When I first got into ministry, nobody knew who I was, except I was this Muslim that gave his life to Christ. And I would have churches call me and say, Brother Nasser, Brother Nasser, want you to come here, share your testimony, and give us a word from the Lord. Uh, would you come? Yeah, yeah, I'll be happy to come. What do you need to come? I said, nothing, nothing, nothing. Guess what I got when I got there? Nothing, nothing, nothing. 30 years later, those churches are gone. Pastors are not serving the Lord. 20, 30, 40 member churches are still 10, 20, 30 member churches. Why? my fault. Our ministry, because the grace on us has exploded worldwide. 36,000 TV stations. Are you getting a hold of it? That was the grace on me. And because I never allowed them to sow into our ministry, the grace on me never came on them. Are you getting a hold of it? I got on my knees. I got before the Father. I said, God, I'll never, 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 never do that again in my life. I will never ask pastors for any money. You talk to the pastors, they'll tell you. When we book this thing, I never said I got to have so much money. Never. But I will give everyone an opportunity, if you get blessed with the word, to pray and obey. Sow the seed that God picks. Complete your faith. So the grace on me for finances, healings, you saw that last night, and miracles 
will come on you. Are you seeing this? Amen. We got to do it the Bible way. Amen. Come back now to uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. 2 Corinthians, are you learning something tonight? 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, he who sows sparingly and grudgingly reaps sparingly and grudgingly. He who sows bountifully that blessings may come to someone will also reap generously with blessings. How many of you want to reap generously? Wave to me, all you generous reapers. All right, say this after me. To reap generously, I got to sow generously. You getting hold of this. But how do I sow, Brother Nasser? Look at the next verse. Verse 7 will tell you how to sow. Let each one give what? As he's purposed in his heart. Where does God speak to you? In your heart. When will you know what to sow? In your heart. If you don't pray and you don't obey, then the wrong seed will never complete your faith and access grace. How do you know what is the right seed, Brother Nasa? It will be precious to you. That's what an Isaac seed is. It was the most precious thing that Abraham had. Say this after me. If the seed don't move me, it ain't going to move God. It's got to be something precious. Amen? All right. Now look at this. Let each one give it back up. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not reluctantly, not sorrowfully, uncombustion, because God loves what kind of a giver? Cheerful. I love this. Cheerful means prompt to do it. In other words, don't take three days to obey God. A rapid harvest comes from rapid obedience. Be a prompt to do it giver. Know that God is not trying to take it from you. He's trying to get something to you. And he can't get you the right harvest if you keep planting the wrong seed. Amen. And what happens if you do this? What happens if I, what did we say to the Philippians? The Philippians added seed to their faith and they got grace. Are you seeing this? The same principle. What's he teaching the Corinthians? If you'll pray and obey and add seed to your faith, you're going to get grace. How do you know? Read the next verse. Because you sowed, God is able to make how much grace? You need grace in your marriage. You need grace with your kids. You need grace in your job. You need grace in your health. You need grace in every business, whatever you're doing. Everybody shout, I need grace. grace. What brought grace in verse 8? The right seed attached to your faith. What happens when you get grace? What did he say to the Philippians? All your needs are met. What's he saying to the Corinthians if you get grace? Hmm. When uh, God is able to make all grace, every favor, earthly blessing come to you in abundance. Why? What happens when I get grace? So you may always, under all circumstance, whatever the need be, be self-sufficient. Come on. Possessing enough to require no aid, no support, and still got a truckload left over for every good work. Is this church a good work? What if, what if the pastors got up one day and they said, we need to raise $5 million uh, uh, to be able to buy land and buy a building so we can expand the church? You ought to be the first one saying, here's the first million, pastor. Well, I can't do that, Brother Nasser. Why? Ain't got it, Brother Nasser. Why? Haven't planted the right seed. See, you can't give a million if you're not willing to give a hundred. If God can't trust you to give a hundred... You ain't going to give no million. God can't trust you to give a thousand. You ain't going to give no million. Because unless you're faithful in little, God will never trust you with much. 
You gotta be faithful when he tells you to give a hundred. You better be faithful when God tells you to give a thousand. You better be faithful when God tells you to give ten thousand and then a hundred thousand. And then he takes you to give a million. Are you getting a hold of this? People think, oh yeah, I'm gonna be a millionaire one day. One day, Pastor, I'm gonna bring a million into the church. No, you're not. How do you know I'm not? Because you ain't bringing it now. Say this after me. Harvest. Don't, wa- don't follow. Wishing and hoping. It only follows the right seed. Are you getting a hold of this? Now look at this. Next verse. As it is written, the benevolent person. Everybody shout, the one that's giving. Scatters abroad. He gives to the poor. His deeds of justice and goodness, kindness, benevolence will go on and endure forever. The giver. Amen. Next verse. Verse 10. And God provides what? Seed. To who? See, people don't understand. So I'm just going to make it plain. Can I just make it plain? There's a camera over there watching me. But there's a camera behind me watching you. You know what God's looking for? Would you be a Thessalonian and walk out of the service? God sees it. Or would you pray and obey? Would you honor God's word by sowing the seed that he tells you? Because if you will pray and if you will obey, then God will change your name. You used to be Mr. and Mrs. Christian. But now he's going to call you Mr. and Mrs. Sower. Because he knows that if he gets it to you, he'll be able to get it through you. That's why he's going to check you out. You have passed the seed You say, but Brother Nassar, some people have to leave early. Sure they do. Absolutely. But if they get blessed, do you think there's anything wrong in them leaving their seed with the usher? (laughs) Unless they don't want to plant a seed. They just want to get fed. But didn't we deal with that at the beginning of this service? Let the thief what? Steal. They're the ones that come, come, fed me the word, fed me the word, and I'm out of here. No, I got to go to work. Okay, leave your seed with the usher. No, I don't want to leave a seed. Ah, then you're one of the people that Paul's talking about. Let the thief stop stealing. But I ain't got a lot to give. God is only going to ask you what is valuable to you. Are you getting a hold of this? Brother Copeland had shirt buttons. He had no money when he was going to Old Roberts University. And he learned about seed time. He said, if I had one penny in my pocket, I'd put it. But I ain't got it. So he ripped off his shirt buttons just like that. And he put them in the bucket. He said, God, if you get me seed, I promise you, I'll put it in there because I'm one of your sowers. But I ain't got seed. So he put shirt buttons. It hadn't, the bucket hadn't passed him five people till somebody tapped him on the shoulder and said, I don't know why God's telling me to do this, but God told me to give you $10. He grabbed that $10. He ran after the bucket. He said, somebody, I got to put seed in. See, God don't give seed to the keepers. He gives seed to who? So if you ain't willing to sow, you want to be fed and not sow the right seed? Sow uh, abundantly because you want to reap abundantly? How are you going to get the harvest? Turn to your neighbor and say, that ain't going to happen. So what does God see? He's been keeping an eye on you during the whole service. And what does he call you now? The sower. Because you went to your heart. You prayed and obey. Are you getting a hold of it? 
Is it okay to teach the Word of God? These people, let me just say, let me say how much these people love you. These people love you so much, they want me to come back and teach more Word. But I ain't going to come back if you're not doers of the Word. I'd rather give the Word to another church where they're willing to do the Word than come back to a church that does, want, does not want to do the Word. Are you getting a hold of this? I don't come back to people that dishonor God's Word. I only come back to people that want more of His Word. I learned from Brother Copeland a long time ago, you go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. I ain't going to go where people get up and keep walking out of the service. I'm not going to do that. But, you know, if you've got kids, I understand you've got to do that. Leave your seed with the usher and do what you've got to do. Does that make sense? But don't try and dishonor God. Because when you dishonor God, he ain't never going to honor you. My Bible says, you honor me and I will honor you. Amen? Now what happens? You're one of God's sowers. You pass the seed test. You planted the seed that he told you because you honored his word. Amen? And what will God do now? He'll give you more seed because he says, I can trust this one. They're going to put it where I tell them. I'm going to give them more seed and more seed and more seed. Uh-huh. God provides what? Seed. To who? Mm, not only you got seed, but guess what? He gives bread for eating. He doesn't say he gave bread for everybody. He's only talking about the sower. No, no, you didn't get it. What does he give to the sower? Everybody shout, more seed. seed. What else does he give to the sower? Everybody shout, bread. Bread. He ain't talking about bread to every hungry person. He's talking about bread to the sower. What else does he do? Well, then he multiplies. What does he multiply? Not, 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 not your seed. Please don't think God multiplies your seed. Everybody say, God, God gives, me seed. gives me seed. The earth, the earth multiplies, multiplies my, seed my seed and gives me harvest. Gives me God don't multiply your seed. The earth does. So what does God multiply? I love this. Your resources for sowing. What does that mean? This year you're sowing from your job. Next year, you're sowing from your job and your businesses. And the year after, you're sowing from your job, your real estate businesses, and your stocks. He's multiplying your You're sowing more this year than you did last year, more next year than you did this year. Are you getting a hold of this? That's what he multiplies. So you have more resources to sow from. Why? Because you are his distribution center. Are you getting a hold of this? You are the one that is willing to so God is so awesome amen now you see God provides seed to the sower bread for the eater and then he multiplies amen hallelujah multiplies your resources for sowing what harvest does a sower get look at the next verse thus you will be enriched in how many things huh, all things how many of you want to be enriched in all things in every way. Why? Why does he give you all things? Because you love Jesus more than you love things. The day you love things more than you love Jesus, you ain't going to get any more things. Because he he's a jealous God. He ain't going to lose you to things. But the day you love Jesus more than you love things, you will have more things than you can handle. Why? What do I do with those things? Enjoy them, number one, and give them when God tells you. Don't ever get attached to things. Amen? Why does he give you all things? So your generosity, you can be generous. And your generosity will bring thanksgiving to God. 
Are you getting a hold of this? Come with me to Ecclesiastes 11.1. Ecclesiastes 11.1. We're going to talk about reaping for a few minutes now. How do I reap my harvest? Are you getting anything tonight? Well, it's a, turn to your neighbor and say, it's about to get better. Uh-huh. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. What does cast mean? Everybody say, let go of your seed. You're going to get it back. What happens? Next verse. Verse 2. Give a portion to seven. Yes, even to eight. If I end up with two figures in my head, seven, eight, seven, eight, seven, eight, which one should I go with? Eight. Why should I go with the bigger figure? You're right. But why? No, because you don't know what evil may come on the earth. <laughs> Read the scripture. You don't know what attack the enemy has three months from now. You don't know how he's going to attack your vehicle or your home, or anything else six months from now, but God does. And He's making a way out. So if you end up with two figures, seven, eight, seven, eight, go with eight. Why? God is making a way out. When your transmission breaks down, guess what? Right there will be whatever you need. Man's transmission broke down. Uh-huh. And he said, God, 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 my transmission broke down. Help me, Lord. And God says, no. Three months ago, you were in church. They were taking a special offering. You remember that? And you ended up with two figures, seven, eight, seven, eight. You decided to go with seven. You should have gone with eight. That was your transmission. Woman, uh, uh, what happened? A, a woman's dishwasher broke down, and uh, she's saying, God, 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 I need a dishwasher. I need a dishwasher. Her girlfriend calls and says, you're not going to believe this. Sears have delivered to me two dishwashers. You don't need a dishwasher, do you? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I was just praying for a dishwasher. This is God answering my prayer. Nope. Three months before, she was in church. They were taking an offering. She had two numbers, seven, eight, seven, eight, seven, eight. She decided to go with eight. Guess what? That was her dishwasher. That's why you go with the higher figure. Amen? And you know what happens? Most Christians don't do that. They go to verse 4. Let's go to verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow. Have you ever seen the wind? What shape is it? What color is it? What size is it? You can't see the wind. Hmm. So what does it mean, he who observes the wind? He who waits for all the conditions to be favorable will not sow. You don't sow based on conditions. You sow based on the Holy Ghost. You don't sow based on circumstance. You don't sow based on fear. You sow based on the Holy Spirit. Are you getting a hold of this? That's how you're supposed to sow. Not anything else. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Maybe this is one reason why so many Christians are not reaping today. Because they're looking at the clouds. What does it mean, Brother Nassar, to look at clouds? In those days, they didn't have the irrigation system we have now. So when a farmer planted seed in the ground, he's looking at the sky. What's he looking for? Everybody shout, rain clouds. Everybody shout, no clouds. No harvest. So when you're looking at clouds, remember this statement is when you're telling God where you think the harvest is going to come from. Because you can think of three ways that God can bless you. I got news for you. He got a million and three. Stop looking at clouds. Stop telling God where you think the harvest is going to come from. Because God can get it to you any way he wants. Amen? So what should I do, Brother Nasser? Read the next verse. Huh? 
As you know not what is the way of the wind or how the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a pregnant woman, even so you know not the work of God. You don't know how God's going to get it to you. Let Him do it any way He wants. Next verse. So what should I do, Brother Nasser? In the morning, what should I do? Everybody say, harvest, don't follow. Anything but a seed. So what should I do in the morning? Sow your seed. And in the evening, withhold not your hands. For you don't know what's prosper. This, that, or both alike will be good. Let God bring it any way he wants. Amen? All right, two things I found out about God you need to know. Number one, God will tell you to sow when it's not convenient. Has that ever happened to anybody? Because he actually wants you to live by faith. Number two, he'll get you to sow a figure that you weren't planning. Why? Because he cannot take you higher in harvest until you go higher in seed. You never see a measure of a harvest till you sow that measure of seed. Are you getting a hold of this? Get ready for that because that's what God will do. The last thing Abraham wanted to do was give Isaac. But if he hadn't, he would have never been the father of nations. Amen? It's the most precious thing he had. Come with me to Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Jesus says exactly the same thing in the New Testament. He, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a man who's got a seed upon the ground. I don't like all this teaching on seed. Then become a Hindu. Don't call yourself a Christian. Because Jesus himself said, the whole kingdom of God is as a man who scatters, what? Seed. And what does he do when he puts seed in the ground? Next verse. Continues sleeping and rising night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Do you think a farmer plants seed in the ground, comes back three days later, looks at the ground and says, Ah, nothing is happening. Stomp, stomp, this don't work. Does a farmer do that? No, because he knows in the realm he cannot see. Under the ground, there's a seed opening up. There's a root going down. There's a stalk coming back up. Thank God he's not moved by what he sees. You get no hold of this. So just because you can't see anything, chill out. Everybody say, so, so and, sleep. and sleep. God's going to take care of this. Amen. <laughs> Look at the next verse. The earth produces by itself. Oh, See, I told you God ain't bringing your car. God ain't bringing your house. God ain't bringing your furniture. God ain't bringing your harvest. Who's bringing it? The earth. The word produces is the Greek word automatic. Mm. That's why the scripture says uh, in Genesis 8.22, don't go over there. As long as the earth remains day and night, winter and summer, heat and cold shall not cease. Seed time and harvest shall not cease. It is auto. You don't wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, look out the window and it's pitch black and go, Oh God, oh God, please bring day. You ever prayed like that? Nobody prays for day. Everybody knows what? Day follows night. Winter follows summer. Harvest follows seed, not prayer. It is automatic. Watch this. The earth produces by itself. This part you're going to love. Everybody shout the earth. Sure. This Greek word earth. Are you ready for this, Pastor? This Greek word earth means the dirt and all the people that are made of dirt living on the dirt. And when God commanded the earth, we thought he only commanded the dirt. But he commanded the dirt and the dirt people. That's why Jesus said, give. And when you give, it shall be given back. Good measure. 
pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men. That's the earth giving you back your heart. Are you getting a hold of this? Watch this. First the ear, mm -hmm. then the blade, then, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Say this after me. Harvest, Harvest. is progressive. progressive. What does that mean? That means you ain't going to see the whole harvest. What you're going to see first? Everybody shout the blade. Do you think a farmer comes back after several weeks, sees a blade in the ground, and he says, ah, is that all there is? Stomp, stomp. Does a farmer do that? No. He looks at the blade, gets excited, and says, oh, yeah, there's my blade. Now the ear is going to come. Now I'm going to get the full grain in the ear. But not we Christians. No, 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 no. We expect the full harvest when we plant the seed. You ain't going to see the full harvest. You're going to see the blade. Mm. Past, past. Been three weeks since I sowed, Pastor. I ain't seen no harvest because somebody took me to lunch yesterday. But you know what? I ain't seen the harvest of what I sowed. Don't you know that lunch was not your harvest? It was the blade. And you just went stomp, stomp, Pastor. Been a month since I sowed, Pastor. Ain't seen no harvest. Of course, I bought a pair of shoes yesterday. They were on sale half price. But I'm telling you, there is prosperity stuff ain't working. Those shoes were not your harvest. They were the blade. And you went stomp, stomp. Don't you know every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of life? I don't care if you find a quarter in the phone booth. You better jump up and down and get excited. That ain't your harvest. It is the blade. Hallelujah. And we've been stomping on our blade. I don't care what good little thing happening in your life. You better be jumping up and down and shouting, Thank you, Lord, for the blade. Thank you, Lord, for the blade. Are you getting a hold of this? Because if you will get excited about the blade, then you're going to see the ear. Then you're going to see the full grain in the ear. Because harvest is what? Progressive. Turn to your neighbor and say, Neighbor, stop killing your blade. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Every blade you stomped on by your word is still alive. And tonight I'm going to show you how to bring that blade back to life and how to get the harvest of every blade you have ever sown. You want to do that? How many of you want to get the harvest of every blade you've ever sown? Say this after me. My harvest, My harvest can, be delayed, can be delayed, but it can never, it can never be, denied. be denied. Look at the next verse. And when the grain is ripe, Mm. and permits, immediately he sends forth the reapers. Everybody shout, the reapers. The reaper. Tonight I'm going to show you how to operate your reapers. Because if you're not operating with your reapers, you're going to miss your heart. And puts in the sickle. Everybody shout, the sickle. The sickle. Tonight I'm going to teach you what a sickle is. Because if you don't know how to operate your sickle, your harvest will die in the field and never get into your barn. Come with me to Mark 11:23. Here we go. Truly I tell you, whosoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt at all in his heart, but believes the things that he says it will take place, it will be done for him. In this verse, Jesus does not want you to move any mountains. So you'll never understand this verse if you don't read it in context. He wasn't saying move mountains. What was he saying? 
Back up to verse 12. Mark 11, verse 12. On the day following, when they'd come away from Bethany, he was hungry. Everybody shout, Jesus hungry. Uh-huh. Next verse. Uh-huh. And seeing in the distance a fig tree covered with leaves, he went to see if he could find any fruit on it. Everybody say, he wants something to eat. He goes to the fruit tree. Now look at this. But when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for fig season had not yet come. Now this scripture makes no sense. Why does it make no sense? Jesus was 33 years when he ascended. From age 2 to age 5, he lived in Egypt. So for 30 years, he's living in this part of the world. 30 years, every year, brother, he's eating figs. If you're eating figs every year, you think you might know when fig season is? And if it ain't fig season, why are you going to a fig tree to get figs? And why are you mad that the fig tree ain't got no figs when it ain't? Maybe you had a bad hair day. You know, sometimes that can happen. No, it wasn't a bad hair day. In the springtime, the fig trees have, when they have leaves, they have tiny little figs. They fall to the ground and the peasants eat them. The fig season is around October, November. This is springtime. How do you know? Because the tree got leaves. It was supposed to have those tiny little figs. And it didn't have them. And Jesus knew this. He was going to get something to eat. And as he gets close to the tree, the tree says, Ha, 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 fool you. No figs here. Hmm. Look at what Jesus said in the next verse. Uh-huh. He said, no one ever eat fruit from you again. In other words, ha, ha, ha. You will never, ever bear fruit. Wait a minute. Jesus talked to a tree? Yeah. You talk to red traffic lights every day. What are you talking about? Turn green, turn green. In Jesus' name, turn green. Come on now. Like we were given the name of Jesus for traffic lights. Come on. <laughs> Here's the best part. And the disciples listening. Everybody, share. Everybody say they heard, it. they heard it. Did they hear it? Yeah. Now look at verse 20. Mark eleven twenty. Now you understand what was going on. Mark eleven twenty. Let's jump up to verse 20. In the morning. Everybody say the next day. They're passing by. Hmm, and they saw that the tree was withered completely at its roots. So 24 hours later, the tree is dead. Are you with me so far? Next verse. And Peter remembered and said, Master, Master, look, the tree which you cursed has withered away. Hmm. Everybody look up here. Three things have happened. Number one, the tree dead. Would you agree with that statement? Number two, Peter excited. Master, look, the tree you cursed is dead. Everybody shout, Peter excited. Number three, Jesus disappointed. Why was Jesus disappointed? Because the tree was dead? Nope. He was disappointed because Peter was excited. He said, Peter, son, you're just like the world. You had to see it to get excited. You had to see it to believe it. That's what the world says. When I see it, I believe it. Peter, if you were living by Bible faith, you would have got excited yesterday. The fact that you didn't get excited yesterday tells me, Peter, you know nothing about faith. And that's where the church is all over the country today. They know nothing about faith. Because if you were going to get excited, Peter, you should have done it yesterday. You didn't get excited till you saw it. You should have got excited when you heard it. That's what faith is. So I'm going to have to teach you faith again. Next verse. 
And Jesus replying to Peter and the other disciples, have faith in God. No, that's not what Jesus said. Check the original Greek. He said, have the faith of God. If Jesus said, I can have the faith of God, can I have the faith of God? Jesus never lied. I can have the faith of God. What is the faith of God? He spoke it. He believed it. It manifested. I can have that. Huh? And then he's teaching on faith again. Next verse. Verse 23. Truly I tell you. Now you understand the whole context of what this is about. Truly I tell you. Uh-huh. Whosoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown in the sea and does not doubt at all in his heart, but believe the things he says will take place, it will be done for him. You know what? I want you to see. Put this up in the King James. I want, I want you to show you, show you this in the King James. It is, it, it'll tell you some stuff here in King James. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. He's going to put it back up in the King James. I want you to see this. Uh, uh, watch this. For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say to this mountain, there was a real mountain there, pointing to a real mountain. He was pointing. Whoever says to this mountain, be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe the things he says will take place, he will have whatsoever he what? He never said he'll have whatsoever he prayeth. That's why so many prayers of Christians are never answered. If Jesus got a choice to give you what you're praying and what you're saying, he will always give you what you're saying. Why? We don't go over that. But in Hebrews 3, 1 says he's the high priest of your confession. It doesn't matter what you're praying. What matters is, what are you saying? <laughs> Verily I say unto you, whosoever, everybody say, that's me, says to this mountain, you're going to have to say, say this after me. I got to, I got to. Say, say something, something. to something, something. for something. To happen. Not pray. you got to say something to something for something to happen. Mm. Whosoever says. He didn't say pray about the mountain. He said just speak to it. What do I tell the mountain? Move. Get to the sea. Mm. Are you telling me that I can speak to a mountain and not doubt in my heart? That I actually have faith and I believe that mountain's got to go? No, I'm not telling you. Jesus is telling you. You either believe the words of Jesus or rip out this page from your Bible. Because Jesus said, you can speak to a mountain. I said, Lord, how can my faith-filled words move a mountain to the sea? Are you ready for this? He said, son, how does a mountain get there? Everybody say, God spoke it. God believed it. Mountain showed up. Faith-filled words brought the mountain. And faith-filled words will move that mountain. Can the devil stop it? No. Why? If the devil could have stopped anything, he would have stopped your salvation. But if you believe in your heart, speak with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you shall be what? Saved. He couldn't stop your salvation, could he? He can't stop your healing either. And he can't stop your prosperity. But you're going to have to say something to something for something to happen. Kings rule and reign by their words. Say this after me. Words. Our faith containers. That's why it's so important that you've got to say the right stuff. Everybody say, say the right stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, watch this. Mm -hmm. Next verse. Here we go. Verse 24. Mark 11, 24. Doesn't matter which verse you put it. Okay, for this reason I'm telling you, watch this. For this reason, now he explains why he's telling them to move mountains. For this reason, I'm telling you, uh-huh, Whatever you ask for in prayer, what? Believe 
mm, that is granted to you and you get it. Now the word belief, everybody say belief. This is the Greek word pisto. This is, what, this is so important. You've got to get this, my brothers and sisters. The word pisto is not the word belief. It is the original Greek word believed. It is past tense. So now, how did Jesus actually say it? This is what he said. For this reason, I'm telling you, whatever you ask for in prayer, you must believe, duh, you receive, duh, then you're going to get it, duh. If I say believe, duh. No, if you don't move your head, it don't work, it don't work. Do it again. Believe, duh. One more time. Believe, duh. One more time. Believe. Oh, you look so funny from up here. You say, Brother Nassau, why do you make us do this? Because I go to churches all over the country. Well-meaning Christians. My Aunt Mabel. She had cancer. She had faith. She was believing for her healing and she still died. Faith don't work. You know what my response is? Your Aunt Mabel had no faith at all. <gasps> How can you say that? You didn't know Aunt Mabel? When you told me she was believing, I know she had no faith. Why? Because faith ain't believing. Faith is... As long as you're believing. Do you know anyone on planet Earth that is believing for salvation? No. Either you got it or you don't. Ain't nobody hanging out there saying, I'm just a believer in. I'm just a believer in. I'm going to hang in there and wait for my salvation. No. That's not how faith works. You either got it or you ain't. You either got your healing or you ain't. You either got your prosperity or you ain't. Faith is not believing. Faith is what? Believed. What does believed mean? Simple. Everybody say, I got to. I got, to. Got, it got it. Before. before. I'm going to get it. You got to learn tonight how to got to got it. Because if you ever learn how to got to got it, then you're about to get it. And when you get it, you'll know you got it because you got to got it before you got it. Did you get all that? I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> what is faith? Everybody shout, I got to. I got, to. Got, it. got it. Before. It. before. I, will I will get it. So you better walk, talk, and act like you got it. That's are you seeing this? You got to got it before you're ever going to get it. Go over to James 2.17. Uh-huh. James 2.17. No, I don't know where we are now. Put James 2.17. This is John 2.17. We're going to James 2.17. James 2.17. I want you to see this. So also faith, if it does not have works, it is what? Dead. The word works is the word Aragon. Deeds, everybody say deed, deed, is the Isaac seed, and actions. So what should be the action of a person who's in faith? 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 17. Eli, this was Hannah. Hannah wanted to have a baby so bad. She did everything to have a baby. Nothing was working. So Eli said to her, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition, which is you're going to have a baby. Next verse, verse 18. Uh, Hannah said, let your handmaiden find grace in your sight. So she went her way and ate her countenance no longer sad. In other words, she was smiling. But how many of you in the room know this? You cannot get pregnant eating lunch. 
She never went to bed with anybody. She just had lunch. But the Bible says her countenance was no longer sad. How is she going to have lunch? She walk in. I'm having a baby. She's talking. I'm having a baby. She's smiling. I'm having a baby. If you got it when you prayed, uh-huh, then how come you ain't walking like you got it? Talking like you got it. Praising God like you got it. Smiling like you got it. Dancing like you got it. If you really got it, you ought to be jumping, shouting, screaming, and hollering. You shouldn't have to see it before you rejoice. Unless your middle name is Peter. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, is your name Peter? That's exactly what Peter was rebuked for. Because he didn't get excited till he saw it. And Jesus said, that ain't faith. Faith is the moment you've planted your seed and you prayed. That's why I can tell at the end of every service who's going to get their heart. Because they're jumping like they got it. They're praising God like they got it. They're rejoicing like they got it. They're dancing like they got it. They're smiling like they got it. Now I know they're going to get it. That's called the actions of faith. Are you getting a hold of this? Come with me, if you would, to John 15, 7. You must believe that you receive when you pray. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my what? Words. The only word you're allowed to speak over your seed is the word of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't wait on your words. He waits on God's words in your mouth. Amen? Now, what's this? What happens when I speak God's word over my seed? Isaiah 55, 11. I know I'm going quickly, but I want to get you a couple of more scriptures before we close today. Amen? Because I won't have time to teach this tomorrow. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, Neighbor, neighbor. you're blessed because you stayed. Look at this. Then uh, where Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. Mm. <coughs> it shall not return to me void. Mm. God's word leaves his mouth comes to us in the form of the Bible. Everybody say, the Bible, the Bible. is God's Word. God's Word. Talking to, Talk to me. Now, what happens? That Word is in the Bible. You buy a Bible, wrap it up with silver paper, put a red ribbon, stick it in your top shelf, and not open it for 10 years. Is it God's Word? Yep. Is it going to help you? No. Nope. Why? God's Word, watch this now, when it leaves God's mouth, and it comes to you in the form of the Bible, it does not produce on the outward journey. <laughs> Somebody's got to take the word, put it back in your mouth, and send it back to God. Read it again. Huh. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void. It can go out void, but it cannot go back void. It won't accomplish on the outward journey. But if you put it in your mouth and send it back to God on the return journey, it will prosper in the thing that it was sent for. Are you getting a hold of this? So the only word you speak over your seed is the word of God. And when you send it back... It accomplishes what it was sent for. Amen? In the beginning was the Word. What was His name? Jesus. Jesus left heaven, came to earth. The living Word came to earth and did not accomplish what He was sent for until He went back and put the blood on the mercy seat. And that's when He got salvation for all mankind. So what do I speak over my seed? 
We got to send the word back. You know what happens when you send the word back to God? Psalms 103.20. Look at this. What happens when I send the word back to God? Look up at the screen. Bless the Lord, you his angels, you mighty one, who do his commandments, hearkening to what? The voice of his word. Who gives voice to God's word? You do. And when you give voice to God's word, your angels move. Say this after me. I sow, I sow. by giving. I, give. I reap, I reap. By, saying. by saying. My tongue, my tongue. Is, my is my sickle. And my angels, my angels. are my reapers. Are my reapers. Who brings your harvest? The reapers. But they only know one language. The word. So until you speak the word, your angels ain't going nowhere. Can, can I demonstrate the word hearken? Is it okay if I do that? Is it all right? All right, watch this. Everybody look at me. I hope you can all see me. This is the word hearken in the Hebrew. Can you all see me? The word hearken literally means this. Your angels are right now on starting blocks. Come on. Come on. Speak the word. Speak the word. I'm ready to bring your harvest. Go ahead. Speak the word. And the moment you give voice to the word, your angels shoot like a rocket and bring in your harvest. Hallelujah. You got to get your angels moving. They're the ones that bring your harvest. They're the ones that bring your car. They're the ones that bring your house. They're the ones that bring everything you're sowing for. But you, you only activate the angels by giving voice to God's they are your reapers. Come with me to Ephesians 4, 6. No, Philippians 4, 6. And just got one more scripture to teach. And then we're about to gonna tell you a testimony. We'll close. Don't worry about anything, but in every circumstance, by prayer, petition, with what? Thanksgiving. You don't give thanks when you see it. You give thanks when you pray it. Why? Because you got it. When you got it. When you prayed it. Are you getting a hold of this? When you give thanks, what, you, what, what is thanksgiving to God? Say this after me. When I give thanks to God, I'm telling God, I got it. And if you ain't got it, you ain't never going to get it. You don't give thanks when you see it. You give thanks when you pray it. Are you seeing this, my brothers and sisters? Mm. Say this after me. Thanksgiving... Seals the harvest and releases it in the spirit realm. Come with me to Hebrews 10.23. So let us hold fast without wavering the hope. Let us hold fast. Everybody say hold fast. Brother, come back up here for a minute. The word hold fast is the word kata echo. Everybody say kata Echo. Mm. The word kata, mm -hmm. literally, well, let me read it. The word kata, I want to be accurate with this. Kata means this, be loose. Coming down with a dominating force. What is the word kata? Coming down with a dominating force. What is the word kata? Coming down with a dominating force. The word echo, everybody say echo. The word echo means to embrace. What does the word echo mean? So kata echo that was translated whole fast means I must embrace him and come down with a dominating force. That's how serious this word is. 
In other words, thank you, my brother. It means you got to seize unyieldingly. What am I supposed to seize unyieldingly? What's coming out of your mouth. You better put all your weight on what's coming out of your mouth. Because your words will bring the harvest or they'll cancel the harvest. Hold fast your confession. The word confession is the word homologia. It means one homo. We get the word homosexual. One homo logia, the logos, the written word. So what is homologia? You must put all your weight on what's coming out of your mouth. And what's coming out of your mouth must be one of the same as the written word. Nothing coming out of your mouth that contradicts the written word. And what does the written word say? You got it when you... You better not say anything different now. Hold fast the confession of your faith. How can I do that? For he who promised is faithful. He's faithful to his word. Are you getting a hold of this? You can't be speaking the wrong words. Tonight I'm going to pray for your heart. And tonight you're going to celebrate like you got it. You're going to jump up and down. You're going to scream and holler. And you're going to dance like you got it. You're going to walk like you got it. You're going to praise him like you got it. And then you're not going to let anything come out of your mouth to cancel your heart. Amen? I, I got to share this story with you. We were believing God for a building. God told me to plant a seed, a $10,000 seed at Brother Copeland's minister's conference. I planted that seed. And you know what? I, I was ke- keeping the money for down payment. But God said, I can do more with it than you can. So I obeyed God, planted a $10,000 seed for our building. Sister Gloria prayed over my seed. That, that day, well, I planted that seed in an envelope. I met with Sister Gloria, and then Sister Gloria laid hands on my seed. Can I borrow your hand for a minute? And this is the prayer that she prayed. She said, Father God, I release my faith with Nasser and Anita. Are you ready for this? For a hundredfold return on this seed. And she said, we're children of faith. We actually believe that we receive this building now as we pray. The building belongs to them from this moment on. I planted that $100 seed. The first, when I called about the building, they said the building's already sold. It never closed. Three months went by. They finally called me and said the building is not closing. Do you still want the building? I said, sure I do. Then I said I went to the bank. I said, I'm going to borrow money to buy this building. The first bank said, no, we ain't going to give it to you. You have bad credit. I said, wait a minute. What do you mean I have bad credit? I don't have any credit. He said, that's right. No credit is bad credit. True story. Went to the second bank, third bank, fourth bank. They all said, no, ain't going to give you the money. Then I'm doing a, you know what I, when all the banks said no, you know what I did? I went to the Bahamas. What would you do? (laughs) Not my problem. His problem. His ministry. Not my ministry. I did a conference for a young man. Uh, you, you probably Anybody ever heard of Dr. Miles Monroe? I did a conference for him in the Bahamas. He invited me to come down there, do a conference. I'm doing this conference. He convinces us to stay a couple of extra days. And so we're sitting on the beach the day after the conference. <laughs> My wife and I and, and Dr. Miles and his wife, Ruth, are having a wonderful time on the beach. And I hear a voice in here. Mm, call Gene. I ran to my hotel room, called my secretary. I said, God told me on the beach in the Bahamas to call Gene. She said, Gene who? I said, I don't know. He's in banking. Go find the guy. So she found him. He spoke for Rama. He, uh, he spoke for Rama Bible Training Center. He was on their board. 
And they found Gene. I walked into Gene's office, and I said, Gene, I'm looking to buy a building. Here's all my paperwork. Uh, four of the biggest banks in the city turned me down flat because they, they told me that I had bad credit because I owe nobody anything but to love them. You ain't going to do that, are you? He said, no, no, give me three days to check you out. In three days while he's checking me out, the Tulsa Tax Department sends an assessor to the building, assesses the building at $1.4 million. They send Colonial Trust Company a back tax bill of, of $19,000. Every day they keep the building. They got to pay taxes. They're motivated to talk to me. Three days later, I get approved. And I'm ready to sign the papers. Just as I'm about to sign the papers to buy my building, my wife says, honey, yeah, we ain't going to do this. We're not. Why not? I've been praying. God said, if we'll wait, they'll drop the price again. Thank God for praying wives. Come on. I obeyed my wife. We waited two days. They dropped the price, $20,000. Was it worth waiting two days for $20,000? Sister Gloria had prayed over my seed, a hundredfold return. We bought a $1.4 million building for $350,000. Our first million dollar harvest. Hallelujah. What did Sister Gloria pray over my seed? A hundredfold. You know what a hundredfold on 10,000 is? One million. You know how much we saved on that building? One million. And every time the bank turned me down, First bank said, we ain't going to give you the money. Second bank ain't going to give you the money. Third bank ain't going to... You know what came out of my mouth? Every time the bank said, you're not going to give you the money, you know what came out of my mouth? Thank you, Lord, for my building. See, I got my building when I planted my seed, not when the bank gave me the money. Oh. So every word that came out of my mouth, thank you, Lord, for my building. Thank you, Lord, for my... I'm not going to change my words now. I'm putting all my weight on what's coming out of my mouth. I'm not going to lose the harvest that I planted my seed for. And that's where most Christians miss it. They're still moved by what they see. Uh-uh. I'm moved by what I believe. We're going to live by faith. Amen? We moved into that building. Can I tell you the best part of the story? Can I, are you ready for this? Four of the biggest banks said, in 30 years, I ain't going to be able to pay them off. That's why they ain't going to give me the money. 11 months to the day, the building was debt-free. Somebody shout, next! Yes. 11 months. Totally debt free. The Lord said, don't you live what you teach. Only teach what you live. There's nothing I taught you tonight. I don't live every day of my life. But how many of you believe if the word will work in my life, it'll work in your life? Come with me to Galatians. Come with me to Luke 6.38. We're about to close. Give and it shall be given back to you. How? Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over shall men. Some men had my building. They couldn't keep my building when I planted the right seed. For with the measure you give, look out, look out, look out. It will be measured back to you. I keep thinking back, Pastor, how easy it would have been for me to plant $100 on that day. I would have lost a $1.4 million building because I planted in the wrong measure. How easy it would have been for me to plant $1,000 and I would have missed it. God wanted me to plant 10000 that was my Isaac seed. And because I did, I got a $1.4 million building. Amen. My brothers and sisters, you got to pray and obey. Never got my first harvest in hundreds till I planted my first $100 seed in Bible school. We were broke. We got a check for 360 that night. Never got my first harvest in thousands till God told me to plant my first $1,000 seed. We got a check of 16097 days later on graduation. Never got my first $1,000,000 harvest. So God told me to plant my first $10,000 seed. 
Thank God I prayed and obeyed. God wasn't trying to take it from me. He was trying to get something to me. Are you getting a hold of this, my brothers and sisters? Tonight, I'm going to pray over your seed. The same prayer that Sister Gloria prayed over my seed. So get ready for what God's about to do. Galatians 6, 6 says, Let him who receives instruction in the word of God. How many of you can say you were blessed with the word of God today? Wave to me if you were blessed with the word of God. Brother, as fast as you can, pass out the envelopes. Take one and pass them down the line, please. Everybody grab an envelope. Everybody grab an envelope. I want you to open the flap. I want you to write on the flap, what do you want the Lord to do for you? Be specific, be detailed, be, be exact. Write on the flap. What do you want God to do for you? Don't write any checks. Don't put any money in. Just fill out the envelope. You need an envelope. Write on the flap. What do you want God to do for you? Be specific. Be detailed. If you need a pen, lift up your hand. We'll get you a pen. There's pens over there. We'll get you a pen. There's about six or seven pens over there. Let's just get them a pen. Lester, let's get everybody a pen that needs a pen. Who else needs a pen? Gentleman over here needs a pen. Way over here. On this side, they need a pen. All right. There's another pen needed over here. One more pen. Okay. Take a few minutes. Write on the envelope. What do you want God to do for you? Tonight is a special night. Why? Because don't put any checks. Wait till you hear from the Holy Ghost. Tonight... We're going to ask God, what is your Isaac seed? What seed is it that's so precious to you that when God says it, you'll put up a fight? Take a few minutes. Write it down. Don't write any checks. Don't put any money in until we pray. We're going to listen for the Holy Spirit. And then special anointing is about to come down on you tonight. First, write on the envelope. What do you want God to do for you? Can I write the same thing I wrote yesterday? Yes, you can. When you believe God for big things, sometimes you have to sow several times to have enough seed. I know every time I believe God for big things for our ministry, we have to sow not once but many times. We had enough seed to get it. Take a few minutes. Write it down. What do you want God to do for you? Car, how much does it cost? House, how much does it cost? Business, how much business do you want? Church, how much is church? Debt, write down the full amount of your debt. The credit card debt, the car debt, the mortgage debt, write down the full amount of your debt. What breakthrough do you need from God? Write it down. Because tonight we understand faith. Tonight we understand the works of faith. Tonight we understand the Isaac seed. Tonight we understand how to release our faith. Take a few minutes. Write it down. What do you want the Lord to do for you? Be specific. Be detailed. Be exact. Because I'm going to pray Sister's glorious prayer over your seed tonight. And then if you want our magazine, our magazine is free. Just put your name and address on there. And we'll be happy to send it to you. It's our gift to you. 12,000 have given their lives to Christ because of these testimonies. Take a few minutes. Don't write any checks. Don't put any money in until we pray. We're going to pray. We're going to wait on the Lord. Abraham became the father of nations because he waited on the Lord and he planted the seed God told him. 
which was a precious seed. It was the most precious thing he owned. It was his Isaac seed. We're going to ask the Lord, what is our Isaac seed for what we need on that envelope? We're going to pray. We're going to wait on the Lord. Let's wait on the Lord. Now, everybody look up at me. How many of you are really blessed with this teaching? Wave to me if you were blessed. How many of you think this teaching needs to go to every Christian around the world? All right, everybody shout, he needs help. help. We've got to translate our program now. I forgot to tell you guys, you know our TV program on 36,000 TV stations? It's translated in the Farsi language, being broadcast in Afghanistan and Iran four times a week. Translated in the Arabic language, being broadcast in Egypt, Libya, Syria, Saudi Arabia, every week. Translated in the Turkish language, being broadcast in Turkey. Translated in Pakistan now, being broadcast every week. 1.2 million Muslims have already given their lives to Christ. We don't need ISIS in Virginia. Can I hear an amen? amen? We're not only getting them saved over there, but we're now we're teaching them the word through the internet. I'm working with TBN to translate all of our teachings, put them on the website so that they can actually be given to those people in the Middle East. The Muslims can start underground churches that have given their lives to Christ. And guess what? We can get the Muslims saved and Jesus can come. We're going after ISIS. Maybe you don't want to go all the way to the Middle East, but you can help me. You can help me do that. We need to raise $1 million. Everybody shout, $1 million. I said, Lord, how are we going to get it? He said, never ask pastors any money. Let them pray. Everybody say, pray. pray. He said, I'm going to speak to 1,000 people to sow $1,000 or more. And it could be 1,000 tonight or total during this conference that God is using. But if God is telling you, it's not because he's trying to take that Isaac seed away from you. It's because he's got a harvest in thousands. He's trying to get to you. But he can't give you the right measure of harvest till you plant the right measure of seed. Amen? We're going to pray. We're going to listen to the Holy Ghost. If God tells you to help us to sow a thousand or more, five things are going to happen. You literally touch 250 million people. Share every Muslim that gives his life to Christ. Uh, get harvest in tens of thousands. Go to the tape table, pick out any 10 CD albums, and we want to enroll you in our university. The greatest gift we can give you is the Word of God. That'll change anything in your life. Amen? Now, everybody close your eyes. Listen to your heart. I thank you, Lord, that you richly fed us your Word today. The Bible says if we've been blessed with the Word, it's right to give. We're not asking you if we should give. Those... <laughs> uh, those... People have already left. We already know it's right to sow. Because we know the right seed attached to our faith is going to complete our faith and access the harvest by grace. So, Holy Spirit, sir, only you know what is the Isaac seed, what is precious to people. Only you know what seed is going to bring this harvest that we've written on the envelope. So, sir, would you speak to every person at the sound of my voice? What is the right measure of seed to bring this harvest? If we sow the wrong measure now, we'll never see the harvest. Husbands and wives, if you're sitting together, please pray. There is only one Holy Spirit. He'll either give you both the same figure. One of you will get it. The other one will have a piece about it. The figure will go from your spirit man to your head as a thought. Be careful, be careful. If you end up with two figures in your head, seven, eight, seven, eight, you know the bigger figure is God. He can't take you higher in harvest till you go higher in seed. Never see a harvest you've never seen before. Do you sow a seed you've never sown before? Only an uncommon seed ever brings an uncommon harvest. 
You say, Brother Nasser, I I'm not even getting a figure. What should I do? You stand on Luke 6.38. You always sow in the measure you want God to bless you. You set the measure of your harvest by the measure of your seed. I want to get a harvest in hundreds, so in hundreds. I want to get a harvest in thousands, so in thousands. No, no. I want to get a harvest in millions, and so in tens of thousands. So in the measure you want your Father to bless you. Is our ministry good ground? You be the judge. Hundreds of thousands are saved, healed, delivered, and set free. We only teach the uncompromised Word of God. That's why I can release my faith with yours and pray Sister Gloria's prayer of the hundredfold on your seed. Everybody open your eyes, write your checks to Wisdom Ministries. Those of you watching me Facebook Live or uh, watching me on the Internet, you go to our website, wisdomministries.org. And guess what? You do exactly the same thing. You go in there for offering. You plant your seed. Without a seed, there is no harvest. And the prayer I'm going to pray over everybody's seed in this place, I'm going to pray over your seed as well. Okay? Those of you that are sowing today, let me tell you, if you sowed a thousand or more, please be so kind as to come to see me at the tape table. Let me bless you with ten CD albums. With full of the Word of God, this kind of teaching on faith. Let me bless you with 10 of these albums, 60 CDs of the Word of God, because there's nothing in your life that the Word cannot change. Amen? And so you come and see me, four steps to your harvest. Step number one, write on the envelope. You did that. Step number two, pray. Everybody shout, pray. pray. Step number three is a tough one. Everybody shout, obey. Obey, obey God. Get your seed ready. And then step number four. What should you do? You must believe what? That you receive when? When you pray. Everybody shout, I got it. So when you come up and plant the seed in the bucket. Everybody say, so? Don't throw. When you plant it in the bucket, say two words. I got it. Amen. And if you've got your seed ready, please stand to your feet. Come forward, plant it, and say, I got it. Don't forget to say, I got it. Okay. Come on. Say, I got it now. Amen. That's it. That's it. I got it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Got to say, I got it. That's it. Hallelujah. Don't forget to say, I got it. We got it. Got it. Got it. There you go. Got it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Please be seated. Is there anyone else we're still waiting for? If we're still waiting for your seed, wave to me. Otherwise, we're going to pray. All right. Now, there's a special anointing in the house tonight. Here's the anointing. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you ready? Are you ready? Now, let me ask you a question. Then stand back a little bit. Let me ask you a question. Imagine if you got home tonight. Hmm? And imagine if you listened to the voicemail. Huh? And what you'd written on this envelope had already happened. How would you respond if the harvest you put on this envelope had already happened. You would jump, you would shout, you would scream, you would holler, you would dance, you would rejoice, you would praise Him. Don't wait 
for the voicemail. Uh, let me put it this way. Whoever dances, shouts, screams, and hollers the most is about to get their heart. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be me. Stand to your feet. Stretch out your hands towards the seed. Remember, you got to jump, shout, scream, and holler, but don't do it until I finish praying, all right? Because I'm going to pray Sister Gloria's prayer over your seed. Close your eyes. I thank you, Lord. We've heard the word today. The Bible says if we've been blessed, it's right to give. So, Lord, now as we give this Isaac seed, a seed that you directed to complete our faith, and access grace as we give this seed now. We speak your word because that's what the angels are waiting for. We send back to you your word that as we give, it shall be given back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men pour into our bosom. Now, ministering angels, you hearken to the voice of that word. You go influence men to pour into the bosom of every sower at the sound of my voice. Bring forth the harvest of this seed now in the name of Jesus. I pray, Sister Gloria's prayer. The Bible says we're two agree touching. Lord, I'm touching the baskets. Let the same anointing that gave revelation bring increase to every seed that is sown. I release my faith with those present for the hundredfold return on their seed. We're children of faith this day. Yo, I heard it. I heard it. The Spirit of the Lord would say, My children, my children, you're living in the very days that my servant Amos wrote about, where the reaper will overtake the sower. I have compressed the growth time of seed. Many of you in this room, within seven days, will see the blade and or the harvest. When you see the blade, rejoice, says the Spirit of the living God, for the harvest is right behind.